Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If, we're, if you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about digital media production. Our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today we're going to talk about comms, not a specific comms, but just general comms. Uh, comms are what we use in production to talk to each other. And many of us will argue that comms are somewhere between 25 and 95% of your show. <laughs> so so the uh, being able to talk to the team, especially when we're doing remote productions, but really when we're doing any productions uh, is very, very important. And we'll talk about how they're designed and what they all mean and how we use them. So that's coming up in the second hour. Let's go ahead and jump into the first hour. Bill, what do we have? Our first question comes from Andy Carluccio in San Francisco, California. Has anyone tried out the new NDI features in Zoom rooms yet? Go ahead, Jonas. Yeah, it did, and it's pretty cool. You can uh, now get a gallery output, so you can get the gallery exported on a black background. You can now also get uh, multiple pins, multiple spotlights out. But with Zoom rooms, it always feels like it's one step in the right direction and like another one back. So uh, it isn't working in the web controller yet. So you either have to use a tablet that is VPN to your instance or use the built-in controller again. So, so the uh, so the web controller doesn't work. It did the work The web before. controller gives you everything, all the NDI outputs, but it doesn't give you the option to select the gallery pages or the right. spotlights or the multi-view. Uh, so multi to get the new things, you don't you, you need yeah. you don't have the web controller. But the other the old the stuff that was there before works fine. It's just yeah. that the new things haven't been integrated into the new inter interface to do it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um and, and the gallery comes out as it's formatted here, right? So it's just a video signal that comes so out. So the gallery actually is a little annoying because it comes out as active speaker first and it reshuffles it all the time. So like yesterday we had a two up gallery and it was super annoying because like it constantly switched around. So what we did is we did a multi pin and then um, we uh, exported that over NDI. Um, it also has maxed uh, audio, which doesn't make sense for like a gallery view. Um, and it's just on a black background without, and the cool thing is it's without any of the like little microphones or anything, it's just clean images. That's great. And how many, how many ISOs can you, um, go out with so there's 12 up to 12 in the outputs out of a scene room then you can put active speaker any person or up to two screen shares out on that and now they also added um the multi-pin multi-spotlight and gallery outputs so it's it's getting to a solid 15 or 16 outputs is that is that right yeah it's uh i, I think it's 12 outputs that you can have and then you can select what should go where so it's really cool we can just repatch it all there's an interface and you select active speaker should be here and then you can change it to a person or to the gallery um, yeah so you have a selection of things that can go out any output and one of the important things here is while zoom iso runs on the mac uh, the rooms run on on pcs and in the cloud you're using them in the cloud yeah so we are using them in the cloud and especially for anything that is um less than like if you only use it a couple hours it's really a lot easier for um us to build it because the mac still requires 24 hours minimum commitment so right so it only makes sense for 10 or more hours of production in a 24-hour day that makes sense it's cool uh, next question Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas says the Insta360 just announced a new product, the Insta360 Go 3. Does this have any relevance as a mobile webcam? And there's a link there. Go ahead, John. 
I would not classify this as a mobile web camera. It's a small form factor camera that's that's waterproof and it's got a magnet on it so you can wear it on your clothing or your hat, which is pretty interesting. All the top all the top influencers got it this week. So there's some great videos out there, including Casey Neistat. Check out his video on this on this unit. I will say Insta360 just it just seems like they just keep on coming. It's like they have a, they just keep on coming out with a camera. It feels like every uh, every six months. So um, it's pretty it's pretty impressive, and it looks interesting. My my big question is is what can I see? That form factor is something that's really interesting to me as far as building like POVs and POV training and so on and so forth. The, the the hard part is always being able to see the viewfinder, like being able to see what I'm actually looking at. Uh, when I do it, maybe it doesn't matter uh, when it's doing such a wide angle, but it's um, it's something that I was able to do for a very short period of time with uh, the Google Glass and just haven't found another product that does that since. <laughs> so it's it'll be interesting to see how this one works. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Well, isn't that why they have this, so the, this uh, enclosure so you can put it in so you can see the viewfinder? Because they didn't show it at NAB. They didn't show it at Infocom, which was really interesting. Either that or it was somewhere else when I stopped by the booth. Uh, so this kind of, this did blindside me a little bit on this uh, action camera. Uh, but it's going to be perfect for anybody that's doing high-end action stuff. They don't need to see the screen any, anyway. They just need to put it onto their head and and uh, and run and then uh, and then see the action afterwards. So. And what's the, uh, what's the, do we know what the price is on this thing? It's a... Uh... I'm trying to, for some reason, this page is it's a lot cheaper slow. if your name is Casey Neistat. <laughs> if, you're an, if you're an influencer, you've got a bunch of followers, uh, $379. So uh, $379 for the base uh, camera and then the action kit and travel kits all go up from there. So it's um, it should be interesting to see how this turns out. Next question. Mike GoPro. Continuing on the theme of tiny cameras, Anna Kokendorfer says, has anyone used the Obspot tail? Any thoughts? And he's got a link there to this AI camera. Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey. Well, you have the Obsbot tail, and which was their original uh, their original offering, and I got to play with it at CES, uh, what twenty eighteen or something like that, and then uh, and then now they're coming out with the Obsbot tail too, which has got a whole bunch more features, including HDMI, including NDI ability to that. Uh, so, but it is it's a bigger version of the Obsbot. Uh, it has actually the the features at the time it had more features. Like there was a really cool thing where you did something like this and it would actually spin the camera around uh, like an Inception style uh, uh, effect. Uh, so they had a lot more in there. Uh, so I can't wait to get my hands on a tail too once it comes out to see what it's going to offer for that, especially for that wireless and NDI uh, option. And right now I don't see that it has a, does it have a, um, an actual HDMI or is it through the adapter? I think, I think it's through, through the, adapter. the adapter, but I, nobody knows yet. Uh, we saw we saw them at NAB, uh, and I'm trying to remember, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, it was the adapter that you need for but that. But I think, and does Obsbot, is it able to send controls when it's connected to the HDMI? So they with their own adapter, I know that we've tested it with the link, and it hasn't been successful. Um, but I guess the question is, can we actually control the Obsbot when we put that yeah, HDMI adapter on it? You'll still need to have probably have this the software running. Uh, actually, no, because the regular Obsbot, if you well, you have the remote if you put it into right. The but you, I don't think you can. I don't think you can so, yeah, control no. it through the software. Yeah, that's which I don't quite understand. If they're building their own cameras and they have their software, why they can't figure out a way to pass 
the communication through that adapter, but. I thought uh, there was also a wireless ability to it, to connect up know. to a computer. So you I do production, I do. That means I don't do wireless we'll find very out. much. We'll find so out. Uh, ne next question. Next question comes from Morgan Price in Victoria, British Columbia. I need to purchase field audio gear to record one-to-one -one interviews for a podcast. Budget is under $600 US. What would the panelists go with and why? This would be to get shorter clips to edit into a story versus for recording full episodes. The interviewer wants it to be simple to use. Good, Bill. So um, let's talk about professional field audio. In in. Up until recently, and I think it's still generally true, most of the professional audio stuff is has two factors to it. Balance connection from all the way from the mic through whatever you're plugging into. And um, it has XLR connectors, which allow those three pins for the balance connector. Now, in the current era, we are seeing more and more units, particularly wireless units and things like that, that use the little 3.5 millimeter plugs. And I don't want to dismiss them out of hand, but if I was investing in something for my career, I would still go back to the balanced XLR audio connections because that exists everywhere throughout the professional audio world. You can get every kind of adapter to adapt it to whatever you need. And that balanced audio does reject a lot of noise in difficult situations. So I would still invest in that in the beginning of my career. There, There's a lot of action in the 3.5 millimeter plug space and in Bluetooth and other things, and it's coming along. But in terms of trustworthiness, you show up with a XLR-driven audio rig and everybody you run into will go, oh, it's that, we know how to deal with it. So I would, I would look to something that's balanced, has those connectors, and there's just so much equipment, it's going to be hard to figure out what, because it's been in active use in professionals for 50 years now. Go ahead, Chris. Go back to easy to use, easy to watch. It may not be easy to use. Uh, the, what Bill's talking about in terms of like the quality of the gear, and it, it may be more complicated than you want. I will say this, I, because I see this crop up all the time, and I'm, you know, I'm always the one. Uh, I, I'm worried about people spending more money than they should, or more money than they have. But I think putting a an artificial budget number on a task is dangerous, because my my question to you, Morgan, is how did you come up with this number six hundred dollars? Uh, it, it might be all the money you have in your bank and I understand and and I commend you for not going into debt for something but maybe you shouldn't be buying this thing uh we say this a lot buy once cry once it may be a better strategy to figure out what you really need like I need it to be this complicated this simple this quality this casual I need it to look like this what do you really need then figure out what it costs then figure out how to save that much money. I, I think that's a better strategy. Uh, yeah, go ahead, uh, Bill. Yeah, I just wanted to come back because I really didn't help you too much. I'm going to give you some brand names and things like that. What I, If I was starting back over again, I would probably find the mid-range uh, Zoom recorder, one of the ones that has XLR on the bottom, the H4N has been very popular out there. That'll give you a recording device that will record to cards in the device. It's pretty darn clean. Uh, I would get a couple of lavalier microphones. Um, I'd be very careful of wireless at that budget point if you're also spending for a kit that has the recorder in there. So uh, a couple of XLR cables, uh, a couple of decent lavalier mics, 
And the reason I would do that is because in a in a one-on-one interview, you would like to separately mic both people. And so you get a clean feed from each one of them. And so that's where I would kind of start looking at spending $600 to do field interviews. Yeah, for me, I would I would probably have a couple different mics. Um, I don't I wouldn't use labs in a podcast. <laughs> like labs, uh, the sound of labs is horrible. And uh, if you just just close your eyes, just listen to just go watch one of the Sunday morning shows and close your eyes and listen to it for a second, and you'll hear how bad labs are. Labs are just nasty, you know. And and so we put them on because we want it to be. We want we don't want to see it. As soon as we as soon as we decide that we want to have good audio, we're going to go to something that has some off axis rejection or shotguns, um, you know, to make that work. What I would probably do if someone gave me six hundred dollars, I'd probably buy a Zoom F three. Um, it's going to cost you about two hundred three hundred bucks. Um, I would get probably a Rode NT two. Uh, it's going to cost you another two hundred some dollars. I'm going to get two RE fifties or two SM fifty eights or fifty seven Bs. Um, those are, so I have a group, so I have a couple, I have a shotgun to pick up, uh, and so the shotgun is so I can interview that person also so that I can pick up, you know, Nat sound. If I'm, if I'm at a location, a lot of times when you're doing interviews at locations, you're going to want to pick up people like you're at a diner, you're going to, you're going to want to go record a bunch of people doing things. And so a shotgun is useful for that. Um, the, uh, you need two, you know, I would have two handhelds with some, some minimal stands that I could, that I could set down or they could hold. I'm going into that F3, and I think that you'd probably get some pretty good records at six hundred at six hundred dollars. So, um, but the RE50 is used pretty heavily when I work with guys at NPR, <laughs> so I see a lot of them. Um, and then the, uh, but I use I tend to lean towards the SM58 or the 57B. Um, but then a shotgun with a with a, I think the F3 is a solid recorder at three hundred bucks. Um, next question. Moving on to Alexander Knight in Vancouver, British Columbia. Is the OWC Mini Stack STX the best Thunderbolt hub for the M2 Mac Mini? I'm finding it extremely port-challenged. Mouse, keyboard, ATEM, SD card reader, UVC, O2 mixer, multiple displays. Not enough for everything. Yeah, this is where if you're using a Mac Mini or a laptop, you're going to really start running out of, out of, um, out of room. Um, I think that the OWC, the OW, I don't know which one, but I think that the OWC extensions are probably some of the best. If, if, if you're talking about the mini stack, which is the one I believe that sits underneath the computer, I think that that's going to be very convenient. Yeah, I think that might be one of your best ones to to choose there. Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, Alexander, if you're running out of ports on a Mac mini, you could use the Alex Lindsay strategy, and that would be buy more Mac minis. Yeah, you, you do get a lot more port. You get more ports with obviously with the Mac Mini Pro, um, and then the the. I don't. I think that they're all gone now. For a while, for the same price as a Mac Mini Pro, you could get a Mac Studio, so which has you know a lot more. But I will say, even with my Mac Studio, I have filled up all the ports. Um, go ahead, Bill. I have done the same thing, and I came in my old laptop. I was using Thunderbolt three, so I had the OWC uh, Thunderbolt three dock. Interestingly enough, they've dropped the three. There is no Thunderbolt 4 dock. It's now just called a Thunderbolt uh, dock. It is smaller, and I can't show it to you because it's plugged in running my rig right now. But that one actually uh, is upgraded to – it's got fewer of the plugs that are going away and more of the USB 3 slash Thunderbolt plugs that are coming in along with other things. And just like Alex said, it's full – after an hour of setting up my equipment. So I wish there was something that was twice the dock, but unfortunately that doesn't exist out there. But the OWC stuff is really solid. 
Go ahead, Chris. And just to recap, because we've said this before in the past, I remember we there was an episode a couple of months ago where we came up with the decision that between docs and hubs, one was definitely better and more versatile than the other. I think docs is better than hubs. Is, is that correct? Yeah, There's yeah. Really a few I, things I, that are black and white, but I mean, I, black yeah, and I, white or black and white. I, I don't have. I don't. I don't. I don't think I know what the difference is. I. I, I, I know. <laughs> it's ahead. weird, but I think it is that that uh, docs uh, deliver more voltage to each of the ports or something, and yeah, hubs I, are more passive. I always think of hubs as smaller than docks, and so usually if I'm buying something, I'm buying docks. But I'm, I have to admit, if I'm going to get something to extend my computer, I have either small hubs that I get for my that I'm going to put in my backpack that's going to go to my laptop, yeah. or I get the most expensive thing I can find, <laughs> like you know the biggest hub that I can get because I'm looking for the most power and the most, uh, you know, like I'm just and, and generally when it comes to hubs and docks. Um, I don't really look any, I mean, I, I have some smaller docks that I've gotten from Anchor or whatever, but when I start talking about, I want something heavy duty, I always go to OWC. Like, it's just, it's not a, like, I think they're the only ones on the Mac side that are building the kind of things that we need uh, for production uh, that are reliable. Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey. So I don't think there is a determination between a hub and a dock, but uh, for me, anything that has itself powered, that way it will actually take care of the USB power instead of the computer taking care of the USB power. That's perfect for me. And another thing, one thing that people don't realize that they said is perfectly fine to do is if you have a Thunderbolt 4 dock, you can actually plug in a Thunderbolt 3 dock because of the channels of PCIe that you end up getting out of a Thunderbolt 3 rather than Thunderbolt 4. So I, I don't do that myself, but a lot of people have have uh, have sworn by that it works really well. Go, Bill. And I just wanted to mention here, at the, oh God, I had a thought and it was really important and it drifted away because I was listening to, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> right, was, next, next question then. <laughs> yeah. Darn, it was so important. Anyway, John Foltz of Ceilings Grove, Pennsylvania. I want to replace an aging PC with a Dell 3930 rack mount. The old one had an NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080 Ti. How tough is it to use that, uh, to use that, the, the 3090? Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey. So uh, PCIe, uh, basically the uh, 1080 Ti is a PCIe 3.0 card, whereas the 3090 is a PCIe 4 card. PCIe 4 is backwards compatible with uh, 3. Uh, 3 gives you six, what's called gigatransfers, 16 gigatransfers per second. It's kind of like a gigabyte, but it's a gigatransfer. And then you have PCIe 4 is 32 gigatransfers or gigabytes per second. Uh, once again, you can go back. It's backwards compatible. It just won't run at optimal performance. It's not a bottleneck. It's just not running at optimal performance. The only other thing you have to worry about is the power. You might need to get a bigger power supply that can support because there's going to be more pins on the 3090 than it is the 1080. I actually just switched out a 1080 Ti with a, I think it was a 3060 in a machine downstairs and it's working fine. Go ahead, Jeff. Hey, um, as someone that has over a dozen of these 3930s, uh, from Dell and has deployed quite a few more of them in other client uh, situations. Um, you don't want to do any GeForce in them at all, honestly. Uh, don't try to use an older card. Buy them with the P2080 
200, I think is the more current. Uh, the Quadros are designed for small form factor and high uh, density applications. They have better fans on them and a lot better capabilities than what you could get off of any g-force i just stray away from any of those i tried the first one i bought and i tried to shoehorn in a g-force in it and it was ridiculously tight the fans don't fit uh just they're not made for g-force format go for the quadro quadros and never look back next question jeff cohen in miami beach florida and here on the panel has anyone tested or observed the difference between using au versus vst3 plugins on a mac curious about any observations and specifically with isotope rx which like many products provides both sets i don't know of any difference between the two do you, have you noticed anything jeff no, I haven't really noticed a difference. You know, on a Mac, I just assume, hey, AU, you know, at right. least theoretically on paper should be better. So I've just always stuck with that. But uh, I'm curious if that's real or not. And the yeah. problem becomes uh, if if you're moving, let's say, uh, FX chains and DAWs and things like that, and someone uses the VST set, uh, you know, it won't work if you've only installed the AUs and vice versa. Right, right, right. Yeah, go, Bill. Yeah, I just wanted to note real quick that because I use Universal Audio Apollo Solo and because it can load up, it has a DSP, a digital signal processor, on the unit itself. I'm still interested by the fact that they say you can load so many plugins on that that it'll bog down your system, which has always triggered me to thinking some of these plugins are so computational intensive that I have long ago said, I'm going to load as few plugins as I possibly can to get the jobs that I want to get done done and nothing else because I, I kind of see them now as little vampires that are potentially stealing cycles off my main computer if that's where I'm loading, the, lo loading them up. So just Keep that in mind. Next question. Andy Kokendorfer, Vieira, Florida. Can power surges damage SDI ports? And if so, how do you prevent this? Go ahead, Jeff. First step, some ways, yes, you can. It's happened to us. Uh, we we had a lightning strike that took out uh, a quarter of our production one time because it blew back in. A lot of static came down the line. It's the only thing we could figure uh, it hit locally, uh, like within a few hundred feet and at a, at a site. And uh, it took out of five vendors, five of us all had uh, problems with it. So sometimes when it comes to lightning, there's not really much you can do. Although the, even the $500 surge protectors and things like that, those aren't going to help. And not when it comes to lightning. If you're just talking about surges, though, or brownouts, which is where the voltage goes up and down, that can be mitigated a lot of times by a high quality ups a, a line interactive and also online ups something that is running off a of battery uh primarily uh, instead of running off of uh, the shore power so the power goes in converts to dc and then once the dc is then inverted back to 120 and that gives you the best case scenario altogether that's what we use in our production trucks uh it we are not running off the 120 so if it goes down we're on the battery that we were already on all, all the time so there is a difference in that but to protect everything not from a lightning strike you'll never do it if it hits close enough it's gone <laughs> for for me the easiest way to avoid avoid uh, damage because of lightning strikes is I really push back on, on outdoor shows. <laughs> I know Jeff, that's Jeff's bread and butter, but I'm always like, I don't think we need to do this. 
like, like somebody else needs to work on this one. So anyway, I, I don't like outdoor shows uh, for, for so many reasons and lightning being one of them. Um, uh, so I had, we had one where we were counting the lightning strike, you know, we're counting the, the time between the thunder and the lightning. And uh, we, we decided that if it gets to, it was just sprinkling a little bit, but we could see the lightning coming to us. This was in Cambodia. We had a big production, thousands of people there. And we we're like, there's thousands of people here. If, if the, we're going to call off the show, if it gets within 12 seconds, we, we, which is about two miles. And, uh, and anyways, as, as, a, as someone who grew up in the country, you, you, you get to know really quickly. Like I immediately, if I see any lightning, the first thing I do is start counting. Like I just, I just start counting and waiting and I can't, it's like a totally subconscious thing that I'm just going to count how many, uh, how many seconds between the, uh, the lightning and the thunder so that, you know, I have software that monitors the whole time and yeah, 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 yeah. rain alarms and lightning alarms, both because we're doing outdoor events and mostly tennis. So these guys are waving around these aluminum, sometimes aluminum or mixture, uh, composite, uh, tennis rackets. They're kind of sensitive about it. We were, we were on tractors. Rides. We were on tractors and, and, and a lot of it was calculating how fast can we get the tractor back into the barn? Exactly. <laughs> so you see the lightning and, and see who gets in 12 seconds. You were like, it's time to go. Like there's a certain amount of wind time and everything else, but you just gotta, you gotta, you gotta move the, the, the farm all M uh, out of, out of the field. Uh, next question. Our remote crew friend Rajan Shandal in Los Angeles is in with this one. On the iOS 16.5.1 update, while on a photo in the Photos app, you can click and hold on a person and it will cut out the person from the background and you can drag it and or copy share it. What else can I do with this cutout? I didn't know go, it did that. Go ahead, Jeff. And I didn't check to see if this is new if he's making the distinction that this is new to photos, you've been able to do it, for instance, in messages uh, since, uh, if I'm not mistaken, day one of uh, 16, I was 16. And uh, it, I mean, to be clear, if the question is, what can you do with, um, you know, the, the object of an image with its background cut out? I mean, that's up to your imagination. If, you're, if you mean functionally, what else can you do? Once you can do those things, um, and particularly the share, then you can do anything because you can, through the share um, uh, menu, which you can, of course, customize, but one of them is you can just save it to files and you can save it locally or to iCloud or to, if, you have, if you're attached to a network, and then you instantly have that cutout without the background. The other cool thing Apple did uh, day one when this was available is they exposed that functionality to shortcuts in both, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, iOS and the Mac. So you can, if you're doing any photo processing, including batch processing, which I have lots of uh, shortcut scripts that do batch photo processing. And one of the things you can add to that is that functionality to uh, remove background. So you can take, a, you can have scripts that, that automate uh, if you want a certain crop, whether it's ratio or dimensions, you can resize images. You can now remove the background, save it in whatever format you want. You can automate that whole process for one or many images, which is uh, super cool. And then what you do with it, you know, it's up to you. Good, Bill. I'm just curious, Jeff, do you know when you do that, hold on the face and it cuffs it out, does it pull an alpha of the entire frame or does it just crop the face as an individual element? 
it, it just crops the person. I, I sent one to Joe. Right. And, 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 <laughs> so okay. and, and, and by the way, whatever it deems to be the object of the image, so it doesn't necessarily have to be a ah. face, but it's looking for that. It's a little tougher unless it's really clear. Thanks. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I noticed when that question got read, immediately Alex's head went down to his phone like this. The whole time. <laughs> I will say it gets into a weird state. Like I, I, I cut one out. And now it's like floating around on my iPhone. I, I have to like, I think I have to quit. I, so I pushed down on a subject and then started moving it around. You can move it around on top of your thing, but then it just now floating over top of that image. Like it doesn't know what to do with that. It got lost. So I, I put it in a state that it didn't belong in. You can do it with Midjourney, which is what I sent to Jeff as a test over Discord. I was like, I will test this thing. And it. Uh, I don't know what format it's sending it in. I'm going to guess that it's a ping. Um, although it didn't show, um, it is, if you just save it, that's what it saves as. And, yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah. what's cool is you don't have to do anything is you just, you know, hold down and once it grabs it, it is, uh, it, it is copied if I'm not mistaken, already to the clipboard yeah, because then you can go anywhere else. You could open up a, a photo app on, uh, your iPhone, iPad and just paste and it is there which is cool if you want it to says, immediately do something so else with it. What's weird is in the desktop version, it's a JPEG. But in the iOS version, it's a, I think it's a ping. So it's interesting. It doesn't save the alpha on the desktop version of it. So it's a, it's, yeah. It's, One it's of the things they, they mentioned about during the, uh, the WWDC was that you can turn them into stickers. And I'm too old to understand what that means. But apparently that's a thing if you're under 25 years old. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, it looks like the alpha is about as good as the, um, it's about as good as what Keynote does, you know, like as far as, as far as it, it doesn't look like it's, I, at first I thought, oh my, this might be better than first Keynote, it's newer, Keynote. but it looks like it's about the same as Keynote, as, as, it, as the Alpha channel. It's shockingly good. It's not perfect. I've had it, uh, yep. missed just like a little bit somewhere, an image, but, but for, you know, a two second hold your thumb down, it, it's shockingly good. Yeah, definitely getting better. Next question. Stephen Montagna of, uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Insta360 link question, can this webcam be mounted upside down and output right side up video either by being physically rotated or a software setting adjustment? I don't know. We don't have one yet. Maybe Insta360 has to start sending us cameras. No, not just, I'm just saying. Go ahead, Jeff. Is it, is, I'm sorry, I get the part numbers wrong on all these half the time, but the Insta360 link, is that the little PTZ little, little thing? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, no, well no, this is, yeah, this is no. the link. Yeah. Oh, and you can turn it upside down. Sorry. Yeah, I, I I never could find the sweat setting to flip that video. So I just mounted it right side up. It, no, you can definitely hang it up. I've hung them upside down. Oh, I hung it upside down. I just couldn't flip the video. I had to put it to a switcher to flip it. So, oh, well, I definitely hung sure. it upside down. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I hung I flipped it already um, for something else I was doing, but maybe I didn't flip it. Maybe I just hung it upside down and had it pointed down. So I'll have to, I'll have to take a look, another look. A uh, quick reminder that uh, you can ask questions out throughout the first hour. So you can ask questions um, uh, now. We're talking about comms. And we've got already, already got questions stacking up. But if you've got questions about comm systems and about how com, com architecture, we're not talking about a specific, you know, RTS or Riedel or ClearCom or Unity, but we're really just talking about comms in general in the second hour and how they work and what they what they look like. It's kind of an introduction as we get ready to bring some of the vendors on and some experts on to talk about it. Um, so it's kind of an introduction to that. So if you've got questions about comms, go ahead and throw those in for the second hour. And if you've got questions that are just general, throw them in right now. Um, and make sure to vote on the questions so we know what order you'd like us to answer them in. 
Next question. Hasma Kajar, a friend in Cape Town, South Africa, has this. Disappearing YouTube subscribers. Streaming event to seven streams. Need 50 subscribers in two streams. Had 50 plus subs on all seven. But the next day, subs decrease and cannot stream. What gives? Go, Jeffrey. So this is a very interesting uh, interesting dilemma here. Uh, a little bit of background, uh, uh, Tatami is basically the mat. And so they basically have seven rings that they're trying to, uh, to live stream uh, for each of the events. So uh, these are brand new channels. They have no other videos on them. And if you've got the same 50 people subscribing to all seven of those channels, YouTube is gonna start to uh, raise some red flags. So my question is, who are these 50 people that are subscribing? If they're the same people, you might want to find some, you know, promote things, put some more, uh, put, get some more different subscribers to the channel so you can reach that 50 mark without it. Because I have a feeling that they're just getting YouTube's once again, raising red flags saying, hey, this might be, uh, might be something we need to look at. Um, also, any new account, if you've created an account, to subscribe to the channel that could get held back for at least 24 hours before it gets registered as a subscriber, just in case, once again, you're, you're, they're thinking you're trying to game the system. But the more important thing is that's the only video on, you've got only one video on all seven channels and uh, putting some more content, uh, making it look like it's gonna be something more than just a one-off is going to be most important in keeping any subscribers or keeping the channel alive. Is it the same stream to all seven channels? Well, once again, uh, it, from what I understand, he's it's basically seven, I'm going to call them rings. Uh, so if, if you want to watch match one, it's going to be over in Tatami one. Match two will be in Tatami two. You get, uh, so they can have two matches at the same time, one going in Tatami two, one going in Tatami four, is my guess from what I read there. Okay, go ahead, Bill. Well, I was just wondering, I, I thought maybe it was one of Hasmuk's medical training things, in which case if he was doing distributed education for a series of young doctors going through surgical training, it would be the same content distributed all over and over again. But you're saying this is a different program of his. This, this is fighting. This is okay. uh, out of martial arts, I think. Okay. Well, let's let's see if we can't fix that. So Hasmuk, send me, send me all of the... Uh, the links maybe we'll post it and see if we can't get folks within our group to uh to subscribe to your channel so we'll, we'll put that out across discord and see if we can make that work um this is what we do as a group <laughs> is fix things like this so uh send all the links um in one thing to me in discord and we'll see if we can't distribute it and see if we can't get people to subscribe to it uh next question uh tj asher in minneapolis minnesota says the verge has an article that states pros don't want the mac pro because the mac laptops are too good what does the panel think about this is the mac pro too little too late i'll go ahead jeff the article makes a a, a great and and certainly fair point that this particular iteration in conjunction with everything else that's been released might be you know it's always of course been a bit of a cat and mouse game and there was such a long long gap you know where they didn't update it last time when they came out with the new mac pro it was significantly better at the time than than your other options it's a good question what was the plan here uh particularly because of 
you know, usually it's the expandability, the slots and your ability to swap out RAM and all the good stuff you can do with a full box that you can't do with a laptop. I mean, generally, it's also you know, who is that for? A laptop is great. And if the laptop gives you everything you need, great, use the laptop. You know, that's usually for one person, an individual. It's mm. typically been an enterprise or a, or a company that, uh, like Alex, that has racks, as far as mm. the eye can see, that benefits from this. But again, because of their lack of support of, you know, the the, the GPUs, mm. uh, the external slotted GPUs, that's a problem. You're good, good, Chris. Yeah, this this is not journalism. This is clickbait. This is this is a ridiculous statement because they're two totally different form factors. It's the cards and the RAM and the ports. Oh my, the the more channels. This is literally just clickbait. And I've never really looked at the Verge, and I started looking at this website. This is a really unattractive website. Good, Bill. Well, I will say that the delta between my old tower computers and my current laptop computers has compressed a lot. I mean, this beast, it's, it's, it's an M2 Max. It's got uh, thir- uh, 64 gigs of RAM in it. It's got, I think, 12 CPU cores and f- 30 GPU cores in a laptop, I would have never imagined in my wildest dreams that that would have been possible. And that was the Apple Silicon change. So what this machine is capable of doing in terms of pure computational power, it's still not the same as a fully full boat loaded studio or pro, but it, but the Delta is smaller by far than it ever used to be in computing for me. So this perfectly meets my needs. Thank you, Jonas. I just wanted to say if we cut the statement up and take everything that's in front of the uh, because that pros don't want uh, the MacBook Pro, the Mac Pro, then I think I can agree. So it's about it's it's about uh, cards, and, and so the thing is cards and lanes, you know. And the thing is, is it's exactly the Mac Studio maxed out is exactly the same as the Mac Pro, like exactly the same, except for the Mac Pro has cards. And lanes. So it's got, you know, and and there and and I think it's an absolutely necessary piece of the production pipeline. I'm gonna get one because I use cards and lanes. <laughs> so so I'm so you know the thing is is that but that's all Apple has made it and, and I think Apple's made it clearer than they've ever made it before. There's nothing to figure out if you you'll have the same RAM, same power, everything that you'd have with a Mac Studio, and you're paying four thousand dollars more so that you have eight Thunderbolt lanes and six cards. And you know, with a little bit of uh, you know, right now that means that you know, you'd still be stuck right now with 16, but you could theoretically uh, put out a hundred and, I mean, just, just kind of <laughs> the, the Mac Pro, if fully oper, you know, fully operationalized and if Zoom supported it, could put out 112 Zoom windows at one time um, through the cards and through the, and through the Mac, and through the Thunderbolt lanes. Um, and that may seem like a crazy number that you wouldn't ever use, but if you're putting, if you're putting stuff into Unreal Engine and you're feeding it all out, having one box that just is able to churn out a bunch of SDI um, is useful, or two boxes that have primary backup against that um, is really, really useful. Um, for, for people like me, wh- where, what you use those cards for is not really r- GPUs. I don't care about that. Um, the, I mean, when I need GPUs, I need four of them. <laughs> you know, like I need, you know, so we, we have PC, we used to have PCs that had four of the Quadra cards in them um, that just barely kept up with what we needed to do. So, if, but after that, when it goes smaller than that, I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's fine. Um, the, uh, 
the cards are really valuable because you can put uh, 32 terabyte uh, memory sl memory slots in them. So you can drop those in. So you have you can be you can put an enormous amount of storage into a into a machine like that. So you could put you know 96 terabytes in three of those slots, and then you could have three more slots that are I/O for you know your your Black Magic I/O and so on and so forth. Um, that type of thing, and it'd be a production beast, you know. And so so it is. Um, it does solve a bunch of problems that we're solving right now with sonnet boxes and all kinds of other things. Um, and so I think that that it absolutely is a necessary part of it. And Apple has very carefully and I think well architected from about six hundred dollars to about twelve thousand dollars. They have something in it for everybody in between those two those two numbers. And the performance for 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 the performance per dollar is very high on these um, and very difficult to to compete with. But again, when I when I need a bunch of when I need a bunch of GPUs, I use a PC. <laughs> you know, like you know, like and and so when I need Nvidia processing, we use PCs. And so it's not that we don't use PCs, but I think that Apple is going to make, you know, as a lot of the production tools kind of keep on going towards what's happening with the M series, because we talk to a lot of developers that are looking pretty seriously at the M series. Um, that the world below twelve thousand dollars is going to get pretty uncomfortable for a lot of PC manufacturers um, in a lot of places. Um, there'll be verticals that that still use them, but but it's going to be really it's really hard to justify um, when you talk about the performance for per dollar. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. I'm, I'm, yes, I may have mentioned I'm not a huge Mac guy. I've got a couple few that are sprinkled around mostly for just comms for Unity, and that's about all I ever use it. That in QLab from time to time. Uh, but I just want to point out one thing that you keep saying about the Thunderbolt lanes and all that. It's one connector. That's a lot to trust on a whole show. And that's one way well, why I just eight. don't feel comfortable with it. Well, it's eight. Well, I mean, the thing is, is again, for the for the Mac Pro, what you're talking about is having a uh, cards, you know, SDI cards in the back. So so it's, you know, there's, and we would probably, we would never go to a show without two of them. Go, Jeff. And it really nailed the difference right there because to, to other Jeff's point, you can, and, and that's really what they talk about also, where, where at least the market is maybe diminishing a bit is the person that now could be content with doing all of their Thunderbolt stuff, even real cards through an external adapter Thunderbolt 4 into their laptop. I mean, we're, we're, we have a bunch of them for this show. This show is delivered, is delivered through a bunch of Sonnet boxes and so on and so forth um and uh i, I prefer not to do that you know like that's the thing it, it's always been the case that the uh, the mac pro has really been for the people that know they need the mac pro and, mm -hmm. and even and they know it's a tiny market but they want to be able to say because well, they were having the problem with people leaving to pcs I, because there was such a gap they want to be able to say they've got the high end covered if you want to do that Again, I think that Apple focuses mostly on what 90% of the market needs 90% of the time and 12,000 and below is what 90% of the market needs 90% of the time. And so, um, and I think that obviously people will, are religious, even in this panel, about what, which ones they use. Um, but, the, but the performance per dollar is extremely high on these and pretty hard to compete with when we look at what those are. I mean, we've talked about it with Zoom ISO. You know, the, to, to be able to do what a Mac Mini can do at $600 would cost a lot more than $600 on a PC. Um, next question. 
Next one comes from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. What is an all-in-one kit that has one or two pieces max that you could send to a show panelist that they could just plug in and go? And what would this? Uh, what would be the battery-powered version of this? Yeah, go ahead, Jonas. There's multiple ways how you can go go down on this. You won't achieve greatness with this because you need more things. It doesn't work like this. Uh, you can use a phone to ship them a phone. Now you have only one thing. You can ship them and. A laptop, uh, the Mac, the new Mac laptops have some pretty good audio and video, um, but then you still don't have them connected. So they would still need to plug in an Ethernet cable or something like that of that nature. So um, what we do is we have uh, laptops that have an LTE SIM card in it that we can remote onto. We put an Intel 360 link on it so you have a better camera than you use a headphone and a laugh or another microphone that you like. And that's a very basic kit that you can send that every anyone can build within a couple minutes. Um, but like a phone and headphones, if you limit it to two things, but I don't think you'll get a good result with that. Go, Jeffrey. Yeah, I agree. We used to use Android phones for uh, for doing our at home kits, and it's really going to depend on whether you're shipping it uh, via FedEx or if you're just uh, sending it over to another side of town. Because you could do a lot more if you've got a, a kit that's going to have a little bit more. If I was to do a cross town kit, I probably would do a Mac with uh, with a really nice camera that uh, that has some sort of autofocus to it, and then its own battery to it. Because once again, it, it, if you're putting a battery on a plane, you got to figure out which type of battery you can put uh, to ship across the country. Uh, whether it's going to be ground, whether it's going to be air, and of course, how many days it's going to take to get there. So uh, success, once again, as Jonas said, you're not going to get you're not going to get perfect results with a phone. And the more more you put into the kit, the harder it's going to start to ship. Yeah, uh, when, when the hierarchy that we have generally is that we send a mic first, like an MV7 is pretty much what we what we have a lot of floating around. And so we send if we're going to send one thing, we're going to send them a mic to fix things. Um, get that close to them, and there's a lot, a lot of rooms that are minimally viable. Uh, once you have an, something that has a lot of off-axis rejection, um, the second thing we'll send them is usually an Ethernet cable. <laughs> like you know, just get get connected to your router, and they'll say, "Well, my router's really far away." I'm like, "Well, how far away? Like less than 100 feet?" Well, yeah, probably less than 100 feet. Well, then we send you a 100 foot cable um, to solve to solve that problem. Um, the uh, the second the, th- the next thing after that is we usually send a Brio. Um, we would go the brios are just really inexpensive and that's the next one up if we were going to go nicer we'd go with a linked a link um but brios are we have a lot of those laying around from from covid um so we would send the brio then we send lights if we're going to add more to that um and those are usually the big things that we start to solve you know in that area um and those that so and then after that we start talking about sending computers you know so we start and by the way that mac or the not the mac the um the mv7 can plug into an ipad or, or phone via, you know, there's connectors that will convert that to USB and it will show up. So you have to have a, a converter that will carry power back to the phone um, and, to a, and to there. But we have connect, successfully connected um, mostly iPads to those MV7s um, if we needed to. Um, you, you, we've had guests that have iPads that we, that we needed to figure out how to tie into. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. And I would say one of the things that you should get uh, if you do this regularly, boil down to really good understandable instructions is 
mic placement instructions so that you're not dealing with that five minutes before you're ready to go live. What seems obvious to you is not to most. It's, it's shocking how many people put a mic, like they think if it's in the room, then they're mic'd, let alone where it should be, how it should be positioned, you know, not on a hard surface table if you're going to be banging on the desk every time you make a good point. So just how to get them set up with the mic that you're shipping them is is critical and let them get that set up ahead of time. Here you go, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, and of course, always there's also that possibility. There are houses out there that uh, will rent out equipment to, uh, so you don't have to worry about that. Because if you're buying equipment, for like a one and done type situation, then it's kind of pointless. But I, I was at Infocom. We, uh, I, I did an interview with Remote Control Studios, which is the founders actually named Bill Davis, which was really weird. But uh, yeah, they have they have not only kits that they send out, they also have kits that stay in place. And if this is something where you're going to be doing this multiple times from one location, you might want to think about renting it over buying it. A lot of people, I will say a lot, What one idea that's just been floating around for years, we thought of it years ago, but it's now starting to perkle up, that comes up in conversations more and more with the, uh, with the kind of the collapse of the commercial space market, you know, in many of these big cities, is people building small, basically insert studios for Zoom and internet and so on and so forth. Um, so uh, I think you're going to probably see that starting to happen, at least in the United States, because there's just there's a lot of space here <laughs> that's available and it's not going to get any better. There's going to be more and more space in those in commercial areas um, in the United States just because of a whole bunch of we're, we're seeing that as a multi-pronged issue for cities, which is that Amazon is gutting a lot of the retailers. The um, you know work from home is gutting a lot of the commercial space. Um, and that's not going to get any better, you know. And so the thing is, is that it's all of those things are going to keep on getting just keep on, you know, getting worse. Um, and for us, people who might want to rent things, uh, those prices will, will, will probably start to collapse in a couple of years. Uh, a lot of uh, people who hold on to those retail are trying to, they're not, they're trying to hold, go through the storm. So they're not renting, they're not lowering their rental prices. Uh, but we expect that to soften up in the next couple of years because they'll, they'll finally give up. Um, it's not, it's not that people aren't coming back. Um, next question. Douglas Carmichael has one specifically for Jeff Keithley here. How did you mount the dual monitor arm in the back of your Tesla? And where did you put the TriCaster unit? Jeff? I, uh, <laughs> I was, I was playing, I was taught growing up, uh, measure twice, cut once, uh, on that specific project, we measured about 68 times and then cut twice mm -hmm. and still didn't hit it. So, um, uh, it's whenever you you sometimes you shoot for the moon you miss but uh it, it's a very um it's not a complicated setup but where it had to go where i wanted it to go it's a pole mount uh so a typical like you would use on a desk um but with the du dual arms uh, and it actually has multiple arms i bought four or five of those mounts and then have one pole and then i could slide multiple arms on there so i could have one for the keyboard one for the mouse or keyboard and mouse and then one for the monitor and then on the other side on the second seat they could have the same thing or they could have a controller on one of the arms so it's a very flexible setup um similar to ergotron if you google that uh they, they have some very similar great stuff expensive uh but the uh the base itself the, the as it turns out the pole is uh inch and a quarter so i believe yeah inch and a quarter uh the diameter so i used a top hat uh that's used on the bottom of a speaker 
that normally, which is also inch and a quarter. I've got tons of them. So I use a top hat that was metal. And then we cut a very specific hole in the head and the, uh, the armrest, which is, and, and on the Tesla, it slides forwards and backwards. And there's a space there that we calculated exactly, modified the top hat, inverted it, put it in that hole after several cuts and uh, adjustments inside. And that's basically in a nutshell, uh, the secret behind it. It was a pain to say the least. <laughs> Next question. Eduardo Augustine in Panama. How can I stream through Zoom in an open field without internet? I have a live view solo, but that's focused on other platforms. Go, Jonas. So I wouldn't do Zoom from a, in the field. I would put Zoom into the cloud and then feed it a feed from your live view solo or use another, a different live view or bonding and then send an SRT feed up to the cloud and take that into Zoom there. If you need to have interaction, you can also bring your feet down. Be aware there's going to be like a two to three uh, second of latency, worst case, depending on how much you need to tune uh, your bandwidth and your um, jitter requirements. But yeah, I wouldn't do it on the field. I would put the Zoom machine in the cloud or in this location with good connectivity and then pull the live view feed down till that location. I don't know where, I don't know um, what Starlink is like in panama so um, it's it'd be interesting to see i mean it, it works in different parts of the world i'm not sure if that's one of them um, also if stalling sometimes we still see that um zoom has an issue with the paths jumping because like if you go yeah. from one satellite to the other one now you have a huge uh jitter for like a second mm -hmm. um we i've seen zoom break up for that and it has been more stable if you use srt and then bring it into zoom Got it. next question Paul Wallace, Austin, Texas, has another one for Jeff Keithley. Describe the setup and teardown of his gear for a tennis match. Go ahead, Jeff. Okay, so the quick part is we run a lot of cables, and then we plug stuff into the cables, and then we tie the cables back into the thing that does the video mixing and audio mixing. Paul, that, that is a question that is like for hours and hours. Best thing you could do is reach out to me and show up. Uh, we're going to be in Michigan tomorrow. Uh, Chicago the next week and just come out and see it all. It's it's simple but complicated. Take a bunch of pictures and we'll have you on for a second hour and have you talk about it. Take a um, can do that at some point show. this summer. At some point this summer we could do that. Okay, sounds good. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael's up next. Alex, you mentioned putting feeds into Unreal Engine. Wouldn't Unreal Engine run a lot better on a PC or has UE5 been optimized for Apple Silicon? What I'm talking about is doing SDI out and then doing SDI into a PC that would be running Unreal Engine. So you just you're just passing all of that into a router and then all the way back into it. Um, and so the you would think that you do NDI, but NDI is a lot less efficient than SDI as far as moving it. So it would be easier to set up, but it would be you you would end up with more I/O using SDI than you would with uh, uh, NDI. Um, next question. And it's for Jeff again. Uh, this comes from Robin Cutshaw in Atlanta, Georgia. What brand or model of UPS under uninterruptible power supply do you use in your trucks? Go ahead, Jeff. I, I've been a big proponent of APC for a long time. Uh, they're, they've been good to us. I, I, Cyber Powers once caught on fire, so I didn't want to do that again. Um, the other off-brands, that, that I mean, Cyber Powers, 
I consider an off-brand, but I, I didn't have a very good experience with it. Uh, when it's something starts smoking, I don't want it in my truck anymore. Uh, and then the other is uh, APCs. They're getting kind of costly, uh, but um, there's another one that I started looking into. Um, Liebert, I believe it is. Yeah. Uh, that's that's coming on the market pretty strongly. And not that they're cheaper, but they've got a lot of good capabilities. And uh that that's a big part for us is is weight. So they're the newest ones are starting to use lithium ion batteries instead of the lead acid. And that's that's a huge savings when I can knock out a hundred pounds off of each unit. That's a big difference. Yeah, and Liebert's been around for a long time. And and for us, that was kind of the standard for for our for our production trucks. Um we had Liebert's in there. And they um they're amazing. They were not they were definitely not cheap. <laughs> to put them in, uh, but they, you know, they were at a whole different level. Two or three times the other, uh, the co- the ones that we had were two or three times the cost of, of most of the other brands. Um, but they were extremely robust, um, and we saved a couple productions, you know, by having them there. Uh, we recently we found out the hard way. We, we lost power and a, a generator ran out of fuel. The client didn't refuel it, so uh, the APC went down. Uh, it went to the APC, which basically was online maybe three minutes. Uh, drastically underestimated the draw at the time. And uh, you, know, you just keep adding things on. And whenever you're on shore power, it's fine. You know, you just keep running things on. Them. But what these online units, like I described earlier, uh, it, you have to really calculate what the draw is and how much you're and watch it. Uh, you have to monitor it. So uh, we had to go to two units in that rack, in that truck for that purpose. Uh, they're both 20... Uh, three three thousand uh mm-hmm. kvas so they're big boys and they're like 28 inches long and they weigh about 150 pounds they're beast yeah absolutely and the and when i'm talking about liebert i'm not talking about the vertive line the vertive line is good i'm I, I don't know i don't know anything about the vertive line but that's the one that's competitive with apc when it comes to pricing um the next level above that is what we've used in the past and that does the conversion that, that jeff was talking about earlier so we're not getting the power from the from the shore it's going through the battery we're getting the power from the battery um, in a perfect sine wave. Next question. Douglas Carmichael is up next. He says, do you ever have a security liaison on larger events to work with public safety authorities and manage safety emergencies as they occur? Good, Bill, real quick. Yeah, I used to have, I used to be the chairman of an event in Phoenix that had about 10 to 12,000 people show up. And we always had not only private security to handle things like uh, admission and carding and things like that, but we also would... Uh, get a team of Phoenix police officers, I mean, law enforcement officers in uniform that you can uh, pay to be on site. And boy, I got to tell you, that solved more problems than I can ever tell. If you get somebody's being a little rowdy and you show up with two uniformed police officers behind you, backing you up, it calms those things down real quick. Yeah. Uh, for most of the larger events that I work on, there's not, not really a liaison. There's just a whole bunch of ex-military security guys that are roaming around that are managing that entire process. They're, they are liaisoning with local law enforcement, um, but they're usually managing a lot of those events uh, pretty in pretty tight detail. They're in their own comms bubble as we talk about comms <laughs> and, um, and they make sure that nothing happens or anything is even disrupted. So, um, so that's, that's usually, they're definitely uh, liaisoned, but, but the, uh, but there's usually, they're capable of doing a lot on their own. Um, Quick, uh, a couple quick announcements before we go to the second hour. Uh, we've got uh, 
Brad Woodall uh, from Thursday Night Football is going to be here tomorrow talking about cutting shows. And so I think that uh, that's going to be a great uh, Thursday uh, discussion. Um, the, then we're, on Friday, we're going to talk about the, the world of DMX. Um, so we're going to talk about how DMX works and uh, answer your questions about that. And, of course, we have accessibility. We're going to talk about mo- mobility on uh, on Saturday. And, uh, so, and the accessibility days have become very good. You know, like they're they're really really interesting. Um, how that we're learning a lot about what's needed, about how to process it, and we're you're seeing us use it as a lab. So we're experimenting. We have actually ASL incorporated into the show. So I would definitely uh, check that out. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. All right, we are now shifting subject shifting subjects. We're now we're now shifting subjects to uh, our second hour. And we're going to talk about comms, uh, and and really, you know, and, and for the panelists, go ahead. If there's anything you want to say before we go to questions, go ahead and raise your hand. Um, with comms, uh, you know, I think that when I first started, uh, you know, most of us start comms with texting and calling each other. <laughs> like, like that's that's the first per- version of comms is usually oh we'll just text each other and everything else. And you always tell when people got started when they do that, and then you kind of move to uh, walkie talkies, and, and in some cases, walkie talkies stay the same, you know, throughout the process, uh, depending on what kind of show you're doing. But over time, you start to, to have um, some comms. And most of many of us here probably started with some analog comms. Uh, we had a couple, you know, you'd have a lot of buzz in the line and you'd be listening through it and there'd be two channels of of, uh, of unbalanced audio coming towards you um, that you could turn, you know, push little buttons on and everything else on your clear comm or, or, um, or something like that. Or, so, so RTS systems. And so that's where we kind of started. And I remember the first time someone said, well, we've got four PLs. What do you want to do with those? And I'm like, I don't know what I would do with four PLs. Like, like I don't know what you would do. Like, I why would I need four of them? We just, we're all just going to talk together. And within a couple of years, we were building very complex systems of, of, uh, of, of that. And, and I find that comms are kind of like a bag. You just keep filling it up. No matter how many channels you have, no matter how much control you have, if you know you have it, People just keep on adding more because it 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 creates all these little feature sets of I just want to talk to these people but not these people and it's not you're trying to hide things and sometimes you are trying to hide things but but most of the time you're trying to just make sure that you're not bothering anyone if you've got 150 people working on something they can't hear everything that everybody is talking about and so you have to start building all these subsets um, to make that work and today again we're not going to talk as much about. Uh, any specific, we might have some specific um, notes, but we're really talking about comms architecture and what we think about as we start to put these together. Um, and so I think that, um, yeah, go ahead. we'll start with Jeff. Yep. I've been using comms for quite a while and I started off with the tin cans and string, I, probably that most of us did. <laughs> uh, then we went to, you know, radios is probably the first step for us. I, w- I mean, I've been doing this a while, so <laughs> there was no cell phones when I started. <laughs> Uh, so we didn't text or call anybody, uh, but believe it or not, I actually worked a show one time. It was a theater and their comms were, it was a two wire, or I guess technically it's a four wire, uh, telephone system. And that was one of my first, uh, experiences to comms. And so you, you had the headset and you would hold onto it. And, and that's, that's how you spoke to the front of house from the backstage. So, I mean, that's a very rudimentary comms uh but for for us i think kennedy to define is text comms uh i have a question later because i I want everybody's opinion but is it comms yes in some ways but is it a substitute for real comms and when i think comms i'm thinking audible comms something i could listen i could talk on and specifically duplex for me 
uh, once you use simplex, which is like using radios, uh, where you can only talk, one person can only talk at one time, and you have traffic over top of each other, and you have worried people colliding and radios uh, bleeping at you, it, it ends up with a lot of bleeping words because you you can't talk right. at that efficiently. So uh, I think there's some some things we need to And you said something earlier. Uh, I guess we could throw that to the panel too. Uh, PL, what does it stand for in your world? Uh, what does it stand for in the comms world uh, for most comms? Because there are a couple different thoughts of that too. Yeah, go ahead, Bo. Bo. Yeah, same deal. Um, going from one channel to two felt like you know a miracle <laughs> yeah. when, uh, when when we had that second PL, and then going you know getting a couple wireless belt packs tied in. It's like you know game on. Um, and now I get to work on shows a lot like Jeff, where you know I mean we'll be I'll be on shows where there's hundreds of panels. There'll be several different systems tied together, and and just you know I, I've I've worked engineering on the comm side a couple of times. A lot of times as more of an operator. Um, and then, you know, but just getting to, to learn some of the more intricate details, like with the, uh, you know, that the more advanced comp systems have and the capabilities they have, um, there's, there's like little things in the, in the bigger comm system that just make a big difference in the show. So, you know, it's, there's, the sky's the limit when it, when it comes to going from one channel to, you know, where we are today. Yeah, and to, and to define a little bit of it before we get into the questions, um, and if as you have questions, go ahead and throw those in uh, and vote on the questions because I think we're going to get a lot of questions on this one. Um, the uh, so for for us and I, we can we can have this as the as the discussion amongst ourselves right now. If, if you want to get into this roundtable uh, at the beginning, we'll define a couple terms. Uh, so uh, for us, party line is generally PL is a party line, or that's what we define it as as a party line and. Party lines were not created for comms. They were created for, for telephone. In the, I have a picture. I was going to try to find it of uh, you are on party line two, you know, uh, and this is at a farm with a, with a phone that has a little crank on the side um, because it would be like your three rings on this party line because they didn't have enough. They couldn't have individual lines go out to every, uh, to every, um, they had no way to do individual calls to every house where I grew up. Um, I mean, when I was there, they did, but in the 30s, they didn't. And so you would have to ring it three times. And if you heard it ring three times, you knew it was your house as opposed to four times. And if you picked up the phone, you just listen to somebody else's call because there was nothing else to do. And so it was a shared line. And so usually, at least, and in, in Jeff or Bo or anyone else can, you know, give me other versions of this. But generally, when we think of party lines, these are lines that we're going to put, we're going to attach, you know, a single line. So if you have, you know, I have a party line one. And I'm going to attach, you know, these people to that, you know, to that line. And they're all going to hear each other. Like, so if you talk, everyone on that party line is going to hear, hear you. Now, I might have another party line here. Now, I might, some of these folks might be in that party line as well, while the, um, while our, you know, everybody's on this one. And this is going to get really complicated soon. But, you know, I may have another party line over here. And then these people might be on that party line and this party line here. And so they're all sharing different party lines. Um, and so you end up, so sometimes the, for instance, the TD might need to talk to the producer and the camera operators and, uh, you know, and audio and other things. The, the TD doesn't, the TD may have, you know, just uh, on their panel, they may have a party line that says, you know, I'm simplifying dramatically, um, but audio, production, um, uh, you know, cameras, 
and it may be there may be different cameras and so on and so forth that that they're that they're talking to. The, they may have a, one PL might be talk back uh, to the you know to the hosts, um, you know. So and then there might be a direct to, to just one of the hosts, so they can or directs to either host that they might have, so they can talk into their ears. And so th- those that's how it begins, and that's just one person. <laughs> and then you have then you might have audio may have you know the audio may have a whole bunch of different PLs that they need for their audio team. That, that's going to allow them to handle the field audio, the back end audio, the, you know, then be able to still talk to production. And so you can see how you start to have every one of these organ, you know, every one of these groups, you know, might have its own group of, of party lines. And in some cases, they're all sharing the same party lines. And in some cases, they're all in their own little, their, their own web, you know, of those. And party lines become really important. And it's one of the things that, you know, as we, talk about different verticals is when people who use unity all the time say well i don't know what you would need with more than six you know more than six those of us some of us go well <laughs> we know what you need more than six i mean six is in, in some shows six is not is half of the audio team <laughs> you know, like so so the um you know so the uh so i think that that's the the thing that we you know so party lines are are a um you know very very important and then what happens with panels and so when, when we talk about panels these are these are pieces of hardware that we set down, and there's oftentimes for a lot of us belt packs or or panels. Um, the belt packs have typically, and and I can be, correct me if I'm wrong, but typically up to four channels. I mean, it's two to four channels is what you know, or one to four channels is what you see on these belt packs, and these are really quick throwdowns most of the time. Um, in the old days, they were analog audio, um, and uh, in the nowadays, most of them are some version of IP. That, that goes back to them. And um, so these belt packs, you know, you hand to the a- regular person, like an, a, a camera operator doesn't need generally more than four channels um, of, of, of comms. Um, so, so that's, so you'll throw those out. Then in the production trucks and in people's, sometimes in their houses, you'll have panels um, a lot for Pixelcore. When we did a lot of our remote events, we had a 12, a 12 key panel at everybody's house, you know, like that was plugged in. And that tied back into our matrix. And so we were able to, um, via IP over the internet, and so we would be able to just sit there and type. And in those panels, you can define every key as a, um, you can every key can be either a PL or a direct. So, um, and there, there, there's some more machinations of that, but that, but that, what that means is that I've got 12 keys and those are defined and I can say these six are PLs or these eight are PLs. And these other ones are direct. I want to talk to just Jeff or just Bo. And I can push that button down. I'm only talking to them. And so I don't have to figure out how to define it. Um, uh, but I can figure out what I can, I can, I can then decide where those keys are. So I might want to group people together. So I can make requests and have those all grouped together on my panel. And those panels, I think the most I've seen on a panel, I don't, I think it's 32. I don't, 30 is it 32 the largest Jeff? 30 well 32 and some of them actually you can add two panels together uh yeah you can so stack them you know, just more more buttons and these sit, and these typically sit in a truck so we have panels that are desktops and those panels um, kind of just sit on your on your desk there and then you have rack mountable panels and a lot of times those are what when you go into a truck or into a production area those are in what we call the turrets so the turrets are basically you have a desk and then you have um, an area for a rack, and usually it's two to four U that are sitting in front of everybody along a truck or or in a production studio, and it's usually lean back about about twenty degrees, and they, they just drop those. We tend to refer to those as turrets, and we drop in 
comms and all kinds of other things that we might need, but comms is probably one of the most common things you see so that every person sits down, they've got a comm panel in front of it. And as you, for things that aren't set up all the time, as people sit down in, our, in the productions that I work on, there's a lot of requests, you know, so there's a couple days of like, hey, you know, there's someone calling someone, whoever's managing comms, hey, can you move this person to key three? And can you move this PL to key eight? And, you know, they're, they're as as we're working, we're making requests of, you know, where, you know, it's it's really ergonomic, but, and it may sound like you're being a prima donna, but really it's all about you being able to get to what you need as fast as you can. Um, you know, when you're talking, when you're in the heat of it, so during pre-production or when you're working on it. And in a lot of cases, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about comms before these shows. So for bigger shows, for little shows, we might drop down um, a, uh, you know, uh, you know, for a small show, it, it's, you know, for free speak, which is a, is just our wireless or, or our Bolero or whatever that we're going to, we're going to drop down for wireless belt packs. Um, and we're going to maybe tie those back in, you know, we're going to trunk those into unity or, or something else. So people can online can, can grab onto them. So there's a couple of things there that are, you know, we might do that as a simple one, but for a complex one, there's lots of meetings <laughs> like for, 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 for a given production, um, where you're talking about, okay, who needs to talk to who and who, and, and a lot of times when you don't work with people who do this a lot, they just want to figure it out on the ground, but it takes a long, if you have a lot of people, it takes a lot of time. And so you won't, you, you know, a lot of times we're trying to figure out who needs to talk to who so that, that whoever's managing those comms um, is, you know, has most of it can be set up ahead of time and pre-programmed or programmed in the first day while people are loading in so that they can, so, so we're, we're able to make sure that everybody has what they need. Now, the other thing that we deal with a lot of is how do we get comms between locations? Now, the old fashioned way, which we still see every once in a while is, is a, phone bridge, which is really painful. Um, you know, like I just feel like we we passed the need for that 10 years ago, but there's still trucks that want to put in a phone bridge. It's simple. They can bring everybody in. They can kind of just group everybody together, call this phone number and you'll be on the, on the comms. And it's a pretty low level way of connecting those things. But a lot of times now we, we build those up into either, you know, for me, we usually trunk it with, you know, between locations with either some kind of clear comm system or, or unity. And so, um, you know, but that's the, you know, but we, and even if we're not using clear comm for the rest of the truck, we might use that they, their boxes, their little LQ boxes are convenient for some of that stuff. So, so we use those as in betweens. Um, but anyway, but the, uh, but you have to kind of think about how you're getting other people in. And again, the more, like, even if you think that, like, we've had groups, we have an event, we have events that we do that are across many, many, many locations. Like it's, it's broadcasting out to let's say 200 locations. And we only need, there's people at the ends telling us what to do. And you think that we just have them call in, but what we're slowly doing is wrapping them all into, into Unity in this case, because we can just have them go buy, you know, go, go, you know, go, go download a free app and jump on. And what it means is we can talk to them and listen to them when we need to but we can turn it on and off and we're not on another device. So the other thing about comms, the last thing I'll say before I hand it off to Bo to show some stuff and Jeff, is one of the things that really damages comms, in my opinion, is when people start using lots of different versions of it. So, so when you have people who break into, if someone calls me or texts me, now there's some reasons to use text if we're all listening to something or whatever, that, that's one thing. But if, if someone calls or texts me, I ask them why they did that instead of using the comms. I do it a nice way, if it's, especially if it's a client. Um, but but I ask them because I'm trying to figure out why, you know, what do I need to do to get them into the into the pipeline so that everybody, so that I only have to worry about one headset. 
Um, you know, and uh, that's the, you know, and, and what I use for this mostly for when I'm using them on my phones is this little, these little things, these open comms because they're bone conduction, which means I can have my, I can listen to program in my headphones and still hear comms uh, without having to try to figure out how to intermix those, I intermix it in my head. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Bo. Yeah, just to kind of continue the the PL conversation, um, yep. you know, I think most of like the the sporting events we work, you you always start with a cams channel and then a tape channel, yep. and you know the tape is kind of where the producer calls the replays, the cams channel is where the director's calling the cameras, and then from there, you know, you add tape love and camera love, and where the you know the tape people are all talking to themselves to figure out what they're going to sell to the producer, um, you know, and then you add things like. The, the red hat. So the guy that, you know, football, he's standing on the field telling the referees when we're going to take a timeout. So there's a PL for the red hat and, you know, and it just grows and grows and grows. Um, you know, and then, and that's where, when the system gets to a certain size, that's where a pick list is very important because as a comms person or as an engineer, you can build this entire system and have this idea of how it's going to happen. And then the people sit in the chair the day before the show and they can't tell, you know, they don't know who's on what channel. So it's very important to kind of organize it ahead of time and then walk around, you know, once the people are in the chair, like, okay, who do you actually need to talk to? Um, all right, well, here's where you're talking to them. This is where this communication happens. Um, you know, so there's a lot of, um, what, what do you call it, wetware? You know, there's a lot of instruction uh, that's that's separate from the comm system. It's just, you know, here's how we're actually using it for this show. Um, you know, and I don't have a sanitized pick list I can show you on, on the show, but if you hit me on discord, we can, uh, look at a couple, but I mean, you know, you'll have a pick list that's 12 pages long on a big show. It says, these are all the PLs. These are all the individual, you know, point to points you can have. Um, so you can talk to anybody and when everybody pick, it's just knowing when you say pick list, you're talking to this, you're giving them a list of these are all the things that are available to you. What do you want on your panel? Like exactly. What, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And 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 where that's important, because in the truck world, you're pretty much living in an RTS system kind of world. Right. Um, and a lot of the RTS panels have a four character limit. So you need to know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you need to know what four characters are the person you want to talk to or the PL you want, because there could be three different versions of a tape PL and you don't know which is which. Yeah, no, absolutely. Go, Jeff. I was going to say that also the pick list have an, have an ex, we use an Excel or Google sheet ourselves and they just go through the, we share it out to everybody and then they go through and say, I want this, 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 and this, and that's usually on the larger shows. Most, most of our average shows we're, we're doing like, like Alex said, it's like, we, these are the basics. Um, I, our side, we, we use production as our general production and then cams, uh, mostly we'll be able to talk to both production and then our engineering side so that for us in the camera world, we don't want to have a conversation about a problem that an operator is having or whatever the challenge they're having. Maybe they need to buy it, whatever. I don't want that conversation taken away from the production. So that's why they have two channels, but cameras rarely have more than two, unless they're using yeah. the belt packs that have uh, four, but that's very rare for us. They're usually just two. Uh, it's the desk. It's the, op, it's the producers. It's the directors, the replays. Those are the guys with the bigger panels uh, without it out. And I, and I wanted to say one thing that we are using uh, our comms more, for um than just comms is audio monitoring uh because yeah. now comms actually have quality uh we've yeah. been using dante comms for for as long as it's been out uh that is true audio file quality i i can actually hear what's coming out on the broadcast just as if i was listening to speakers in front of me usually better 
because I'm not listening to all the other chatter that's in the room. So I use uh, some, uh, I think they're the 300s, HMD 300s from Sennheiser, which have an over the ear. They're very nice uh, sounding and also isolating. So this, this isn't your granddad's comms anymore. It doesn't sound like the whole time. You really actually hear people clearly. And then also the other side of that is now I can hear the program audio as it should be. Uh, so I don't have to worry about, you know, just it's another set of ears to hear what's going on. And I could bring it up to the A1 at that point and say, hey, we need to make some adjustments here or something of that nature. Yeah. And on the small and medium ones, we tend to have a, our A1 tends to be the person that manages comms. Sometimes if we're renting a comm system, it comes with a person. So if it comes with that person to manage the comms, then that's great for us because it means it's one less thing we have to worry about. We oftentimes look at how how busy is my A1. Like, so for, for us, if we're doing a stream and there's another production company, we're just tying into that. And we, need, we still need our comms and we need remote comms and local comms. Our A1 will do that. If we start seeing a bunch of wireless, and we start seeing a, you know, a pretty complex structure and that A1 is accountable for that with some A2s, then we start looking for, I need someone to manage comms. Like I don't wanna have, because what you end up with is, it's, it's tempting to have the A1 do a lot of those things and that's why we're talking about on audio day. Um, but you get into a situation of cascading failures and, and you put too many things on top of one person and adding comms and wireless and the show to one person to kind of, once you centralize that, uh, something goes wrong with comms and you stop paying attention to the show. Something goes wrong with the show, you stop paying attention to comms. And so that starts to become more of a problem and we start specializing folks um, to, to make that actually happen. Um, but you know, a good capable A1 can do you know, medium shows, you know, up to 20 people. <laughs> you know, so, so in my opinion, um, you, you know, on a typical, and we keep those pr pretty simple. What I will say is a lot of times with clients, we love putting, we don't want to do any phone calls and we don't want them texting us and we don't want them, we try to get them on comms as fast as we can, even if they never say anything. We want to get them through the process of installing Unity or HNIC onto their, onto their phone, trying it, seeing the keys, and they may not say anything, but especially if you're working with them over and over and over again, within three or four shows, they'll ask, where's my comm login and how do I get into the comms and everything else, you know, because they'll realize, they'll, first they'll be like, I don't understand this and why are we using this? but it doesn't take very long before they're asking for it. And now you have them, you, now you have access to them when needed. When something's going wrong, when the decision, decision needs to be made, they're all there, you know, on it. And, uh, and it, works, it works fairly well. Uh, let's, go, let's go ahead and jump into the questions. We got a ton stacking up. Yeah, our first one comes from John Fisher in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. What's a good mic or headset to use for Teams or Zoom meetings on a corporate laptop where the user cannot install third-party software? Yeah, I think that uh, this is the this is where for comms, I use these little open comms. These are shocks open comms, um, and I and I love these. And here's a couple things about it. One is is that it's got a boom, so this boom makes a huge difference in a louder environment. So that boom is is something that a lot of our new headsets don't have. When I spin that boom up, it turns it off. So when I pull it back here, it turns it off, and when I pull it down, it it comes on. Because it's bone conduction, um, let's see if I can, if it'll say, because it's bone conduction here, I can have production, I can be listening to my production in my ears. And this is sitting on my cheeks and I can still hear everyone. And it's a little disoriented when you first try it, but then after a while you get used to it. And I use, I have, I have two sets of these, so one can always be charging. <laughs> so, and I just swap them out. Um, if you're trying to connect to a mobile device or your computer, these work really well. Um, and you don't have to install anything. They're just considered Bluetooth headsets. Now, next question. Next one comes from Dave Troutman in Edmonton, Canada. Has Office Hours adopted a particular comms protocol from another source, or did it develop its own rules, for example, flight or broadcast? 
Go ahead, Jonas. I think we partially like originated from some understanding from uh, most people on how um, comms work in their area, and then it grew into something else. I think uh, with as many volunteers as we have, and with how how much turnaround we have on volunteers, there isn't like a very strict protocol because then someone would need to maintain that and like update it. Um, but there's like the common. There's some common practices that are still practiced on the office hours comms, like calling for someone, waiting for them to acknowledge it, and then speaking to them. And But it also depends on channels. Some channels where we know uh, it's just me and the other engineer might be more lax versus like a production channel where everyone is on. And we've talked about it in the past. Protocol is important. I don't think we're going to dig into it too much today because that's a whole second hour. Is uh, and we, we've I think we might have had a second hour on it, but there are you know a lot of and there's dis disagreements uh, about how you know it depends on who you're working with because like for instance if I'm going to call um, Jeff I will I in what I was trained to do will say you know um, Alex for Jeff you know and that's saying I'm calling to Jeff. Some people will say Jeff for Alex, you know, like, you know, and that I consider that backwards. And and so I, you know, I don't, and I don't know which, you know, so it's, so I'll go Alex for Jeff and I'll wait until Jeff says go for Jeff and then I will, and then I'll, and then I'll start talking. But you'll get into a system where someone will say Jeff for Alex and, and then someone will say go for Jeff. Um, and one thing, by the way, is that in broadcast you hear, or in a lot of places we hear go for this person in events you can never say go like so so no one so when we're working in events like at an event because there's a show caller and that show caller is going you know uh you know q57 go da -da 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 go go da -da 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 go and and they're just and they're calling these goes and if, and, and if you switch over to that and you say go for it you, no one ever wants to hear you know um that and that gets a little harder to to, to manage there go ahead jeff I have to point out, I mean, there is a clear answer to that. You know, Jeff to Alex is obviously the correct way because that's how Star Trek communicators no. work. <laughs> that, that's probably why someone uses it that way. <laughs> All right, now, next question. Next question comes up from Bo Cordell in Charleston, South Carolina, here on the panel. What's it mean to trunk two systems together? Go ahead, Bo. Yeah, well, I've... Find it kind of fascinating. I found it kind of fascinating once I figured out how it actually worked. So uh, I was working a show, um, a big tennis event in New York, and you know the World Feed had their entire comm set up. You know they had however many channels and and you know different trucks covering all the 17 courts. Uh, so they had their whole intercom world, and then I was working on the venue side where we had three control rooms for the biggest courts and then a master control. So we had our whole comm set up. Well, the way to link those two is we built a Matty bridge. So we we basically built enough for, I think it was, you know, 10 or 12 trunk lines. And then the important part, since both of them were RTS systems, is there's the data layer that you can connect. And that's what allows, you know, when when somebody's talking to you on a trunk line, the data follows. So it still lights up on your panel showing that they're the ones talking to you or they're the ones you need to reply to. So it's not just a PL where there's a voice and you don't know who it is, you're actually seeing the data pass between the two links. The problem with that is if more than 10 people are talking to each other on the same time and all of those trunk lines are full, you just get a busy signal. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. 
I was going to say a lot of the same things, but we've run into the same circles many times. Uh, I I would suggest that in the the very simplest of trunks, uh, you could go as far down as like a SIP line. Uh, So a a VoIP line uh, trunking multiple systems, and that's just a single path or say like one PL. Um, Then the other side of that is Dante or Maddie. Uh, We use Dante and it, it, you have to use a box in between it to try to bridge a uh, two Dante setups together using one network connection. It is a nightmare. Uh, I could say from past experience for sure. So it's better to use a uh, a device that could take in one Dante and Studio Technologies makes one of these that I love that, that works really well. So I keep one in every truck. So if I, I'm next to another system and it's becoming more and more common to use Dante comms, I can plug their network into that box and my network into that box. And then in that box, I map the channels where I want them. And then at that point, I can actually tell anything to be any PL or directs. And the key is I don't get that fun fun stuff like Bo does in an RTS where you can actually see that other person. So I do run into that at times like, whose voice is this? Who's this? You know, it's like, I've heard this person from Hawkeye one time. And then I'm like, his voice comes on. And I'm like, who is this? Who, who, what are you asking me for? So having the more complexity you have, having more information in that, in that data channel, like Bo describes is it's invaluable. I see at first I was like, oh, I'll never need that. It, it's a way it always starts. And I was like, oh, wait, that's kind of nice. Actually. I know who talked to me. Good, Bo. Well, and it's always the person that uh, that you never talk to, but when you do need to talk to them, you need to talk to them right then because it's important. Uh, so that data layer really helps. Uh, the other thing you were talking about trunking like Dante networks, that kind of thing. Um, we run into the situation a lot where you know, like they don't want us on our on their Dante network. We don't want a, them on our Dante network. So as as crazy as as it is, you'll throw two Rios side by side and go analog between the two. I mean, it's you go Dante to analog and then back to Dante. And the big issue you deal with with connecting Maddie or Dante between these is clocking. And so nobody wants to touch a touch each other's clock, um, you know, because you'll get these big dropouts. And if that Dante network is managing the show audio as well as anything else that's going on there, uh, is you know, if it's not a separate Dante network for the comms, that clocking problem will affect the show. So um, we do the same thing. Uh, drop and we do that oftentimes when, we, when we're pulling audio from a board, uh, you know, for a for a show is we used to try to use Maddie. Uh, or or Dante, um, and now we drop a box that will that we can just pull analog out because it's just I don't want to deal with their clock. Uh, next question. Next question comes from Chami Chance in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm finally delving into NDI. When I was wondering if comms solutions run on networks. Uh, go ahead, Jonas. There's so many solutions that run on networks. We start over with like the basics of Unity, and then you have something. Even there's like three different flavors of NDI intercoms now that just use NDI audio streams. Swift announced theirs today. There's like Killerview has one, Birdock has one. Um, then there's Telos VIP, which also runs over VAN that also can trunk into uh, NDI systems. And you even have something like Punctum, which is the more budget-friendly brand from uh, Riedel. They uh, use AS67 for all of their comms. So that's all so network-based. And a lot of the things are network-based now. Um, a lot of the things are over an NDI budget, though. So like if you're still in the NDI budget, it's probably more going to be Unity, Punctum, that type of situation, and not like the real things that also have some capabilities over network. You go, Jeff. 
And we definitely have been using NDI for, for audio transport uh, since it began. And comms was right at the very beginning. I was pushing about it. I was like, why, why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? And there's no box to drop down to use NDI as comms, but you can use an app on your phone. Uh, there's an iOS device from Sienna that does create a uh, comms layer, but it it best works if it's tied back into the Sienna processing engine. We use it uh, for that. And as long as your your connection is good, uh, it when I say good, like good Wi-Fi to the phone or hard line, uh, and then good network to the cloud or wherever that server happens to be, it's really magical. It, it allows you to do a lot of things. It's not a full-on comm solution with multiple party lines and and the the interface that we've gone become used to with just Unity, as funky as it is, or uh, with other things like my first comm solution uh, over IP comms over IP was Vcom, uh, and uh, which now RT well has been for a while. RTS rebrands that I think it's VLink or something like that, but RTS has a version of Vcom also. It is a higher level. But it's a true matrix com, and once you experience a true matrix com, it's it's a beautiful thing. But just about every manufacturer now is running over Ethernet or network based at some point. It's not point to point anymore. Thank God is all I could say. Yeah, I think we moved to ClearCom for Pixel Core in 2013 or 14, and at that point we put a matrix in. And we would drop those boxes anywhere in the world. And literally, one of the things that we did to, to drop a twelve, a, you know, a a, a, a a 12 button panel, uh, we would have, we had a client that wouldn't let us on their, on their network, you know, at their, and they were a cell provider. <laughs> but they wouldn't let us do that. So what we did is we actually take, took the phone and we converted it back to, to, um, ethernet, um, and then plugged the ethernet into the, into that. And we were using, so we're using a phone essentially as a hotspot that fed that V panel and that V panel totally turned on and was part of the comms and everything else. And one, one thing that's, that, that's important to note is that with cellular, for instance, your cellular will be more stable than your Wi-Fi. So Wi-Fi is super unstable. So a lot of times when we go on comms, we try to turn the Wi-Fi off. And if we can depend on cellular wired to whatever the device is, is going to be better than Wi-Fi because of it's just, it, we tend to get a lot of glitching um, in a lot of our, our devices. Next question. Next one comes from Bo Cordell in Charleston, South Carolina. Comm systems like RTS and Riedel have features like pre-fade listens, special lists, and stage announce. What are some use cases for these more advanced features? All right, go ahead, Bill. I just wanted to tell a quick story. I, I got hired early in my career. I was just fresh into the business to do a live TV taping. It was actually the rehearsal for it. And there's the producer who was kind of directing everything there, but also director. And they gave me a comm set. And at some point, we were getting close to the show. And the producer looked at me, director, and he said, go announce. And it was really specific. And I went, okay. And so I did the opening announcement and I got yelled at later appropriately because I should not have listened to the producer for that. I should have been listening to either the floor director or the director who was looking over the broadcast. And this is about these party lines and eliminating extra mm -hmm. junk in your head so that people can do their jobs efficiently. I mean, it's important to know who to listen to and comms can do that for you. Good, Bill. I guess I put a lot in that question, but I'll pick on one thing that, so matrix intercoms, like Jeff was saying, um, you get a lot more flexibility. So the thing that I enjoyed learning about is uh, special lists. So it's it's not a party line and it's not a point to point. It's kind of, of a hybrid of the, the, the two. So let's say, um, you know, we will always build an engineering specialist. 
so that when an operator hits the engineering button, then it goes point to point to all the different, you know, say there's four engineers on the show, it'll hit all of their panels, and then it'll show up on their panel who's calling. So it's not an engineering party line where they don't know who's calling. And then then that person right. can then just reply and talk directly to the person that's asking for engineering. The other fun use of that is um, on one of the football shows that I work on, the director key on everybody's panel is actually a special list that hits the director and the technical director. So when somebody's trying to sell the director, the TD also hears it and they can see who's being called to on their panel. So, And when someone's trying to sell something, tell us what that means. Uh, you might have graphics department trying to sell the producer, or the director on a on a graphic coming up, or uh, you might have you know a replay. So this is something like they you. they have something that they think should be included in the show or could be included in the show, and they're trying to tell them, hey, I've got this already. It's probably on screen twenty seven or or something like that. And they're and yeah. they're you know take a look at that and see if it's something you want to add to the show. Yeah, or or as simple as you know the the kickoff's getting ready to happen, and font two has the uh, the lower third for the returning guy. Like font two's good. Like, it, you know, they're constantly selling their graphics. Half the time they get taken, half the time they don't. The yeah. director is just, you know, director and producer, just good enough to hear all of that information. They know who it's coming from and how important it is and what they want. And they might just ignore it or they might, they might call on it. Yeah. Uh, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about pre-fade listen and stage announce or? or so, yeah. So pre-fade listen. Um, so let's say you have a reporter in the field or, you know, you have a reporter standing there. So you'll have their microphone coming to you pre-fade on the listen part of your intercom. So you can listen to that, that reporter talking even when audio does not have their mic unmuted. So you can talk back and forth to the reporter, tell them, you know, right. what they, what, you know, you can key them so that you're talking to their IFB, you're listening to their microphone. There's not a separate comms headset for the reporter. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a, you know, kind of a slick way that they, the producer talks to the reporter, uh, and then stage announce. Um, so usually that's a, like a open speaker that'll be somewhere in a, in a, you know, a, production booth or, or the announce booth where if nobody has their headset on then the producer can hit a button and say you know, announce to the stage um, you know and, and there's I've seen them build it even further where they'll have stage announce uh, like I, there's uh, it's taking me a while to figure this out but there's like high SA and low SA so the high cameras will be on one stage announce and all mm -hmm. the low cameras will be on another so the replay producer can tell the low cameras to change their ISOs in a certain way or the high cameras and they can kind of have separate cameras out into different groups that way that's great yeah telling everybody to get on headsets is is an important thing you you, you need you need open speakers to <laughs> let them know like come back from lunch we need you yeah. on or or people will get back and they'll be fiddling and they just won't put them on and you need to get the you know get the cans on um, next next question Samuel Nordvik in Norway is everyone on your team on comms in a live event why or why not go ahead, Jonas yeah, and I would even go further, like uh, Bo just talked about, there's more outputs and inputs to a system than just people. So like when we do work, we do most of our stuff is still cloud and virtual production. So while we don't have a stage announced, we have a tie into every single Zoom uh, breakout room. So every single stage I can listen to what is happening there. Is it like, and then I can also listen into the program feed. We have multiple program feeds. Then you also can talk into, let's say, the green room where the client is hanging out. And it's like, oh, yeah, I wonder if production has this ready. And you can, as voice of God, just be in, yeah, we have it ready. Have a look at the screen. Um, so all of those things, yes, all of the people that we can get on comms, we get on comms. Sometimes the client um they want to hang out with the talent on Zoom. Then we let just them be on Zoom and we can talk to them over a PL. 
but we have all our operators on comms and then actually tell them to leave the Zoom audio because we have all of the Zoom breakout rooms where they could need to talk into in there and they can talk over comms to it. So they never leave like the old, hey, I'm on Zoom. Uh, I'll just turn off all my lessons on comms so I can focus on the Zoom. We want to prevent that. So they're just as video in Zoom and then can jump around and still say hi, but uh, everything works over comms. Go, Jeff. For for us, it's it, it's aligned. Um, I, I like to have everyone on the team. Yes, as long as they're part of the production team. But if I'm working with a client, I want to be very careful about who I give comms access uh, to, um, just because I don't want the client to know everything that's burning all the time. Well, and this is one of the big powers of a more com robust system. So I try to get everybody on comms. Like everybody's got a, got the app open. Everyone's available. What I do with them is is a different thing. <laughs> so, you know, clients might have a couple of their own channels that they can talk amongst themselves. Oftentimes I can hear in or not. Sometimes we give them private channels that they can talk. One of the easiest ways to get clients to use the comms to put them on their phone is to give them their own channel that, that is theirs. Like I'm not on it, they get to talk amongst themselves and it's a lot easier than them calling each other and they very quickly will, especially if I don't give them a, a if I don't give them a bridge, <laughs> like if we just say, this is the comms, this is how you talk to each other, then they, they'll they they'll get in there and they'll be talking amongst themselves and I have one that I can talk to them, but then all the other stuff is all cleared off. And this is why folks like us find Unity really limited is because you know we have four or five channels just to manage the, you know, just to manage the clients and now it's on another page. And, you know, so it's, it becomes a thing sometimes to, to, to make that happen. But I try to have them all on there and it's not for them. It's for me. It's so that I can get a hold of them quickly and easily, you know, if they're on it and using it and I need to, I need to ask them a question. I don't want to try to call them or text them or anything else. I just want to hit a button and talk to them for a second. And, um, and so I try to pull them in there, but as Jeff said, people don't need to see how the sausage is made. You know, if, if, you know, there's, there's two, the biggest problem is, is that when you're doing live events, if many producers or many clients that were new to live, if they didn't know what they were, if they, if they heard everything, they would never do live again. Like, you know, like live is, is putting out a series of fires. You're, you're moving into a location. There's a bunch of things that are unexpected. You know, no, no plan ever meets, you know, no, no, what is it, was it? No plan ever survives, you know, contact with the, you know, with, with the process, you know? And so, so the, um, so you have this great plan, you get there and you're, you're sussing it out. And why you hire a professional team is because it's not because they have it all working when they get there. They all have it working comfortably before the show starts without it being a lot of stress for the client. But we try to keep the client's interaction with what's actually happening a, a little bit lower. And that's two things. One is we don't want the client making requests that the producer doesn't know about. That's really a big problem we get into where they'll walk up to an operator or if they have comms, they'll start asking for things that that, that operator thinks is okay, but puts us in an odd position um, with what we're doing. And number two is if they knew how many things were going wrong over comms, they all sound equal to us. They're just like, oh, we just got to figure this out and do this thing and and make it, you know, but, but they would um, probably not do a lot more live if they understood that when you get there, there's a bunch of things that are, you know, we had one where, you know, you hear over the comm, our client got, was on a walkie talkie and what they heard was trucks on fire, <laughs> like trucks on fire, trucks on fire. We had some UPSs catching fire and um, not, they weren't burning, they were just smoking. Um, square waves aren't good for uh, uh, UPSs. Go ahead, Jeff. You, you brought up something and that's one of my biggest pet peeves is uh, comms and, and I kind of loaded this question earlier because it, it become 
in my, when we started the show, I actually had my open mic and uh, Chad texted me uh, in the chat. It's like, well, I, I spoke to you on comms. It's like, we have different feelings of what comms is. For me, I had a unity in my ear already. So uh, it was no big deal for you just to talk to me in my ear. But there's, I know there's policies in place and there's certain ways why we, we're, we're not talking. He explained to it. So I, I'm cool with it. All. That's just the way this show's done. But whenever I think comms, Discord, or the other uh, Discord, or worse, WhatsApp, that's not comms to me for a show. That's, yeah. That is just a communication maybe beforehand, but I don't want to see, all, or I don't want to have to be responsible for all the texts that are happening and keeping up with all that. If you need me while I'm in a show and I'm calling or producing a show, I'm cutting cameras, whatever I happen to be doing, engineering, it doesn't matter. If you need me, talk in my ear. That's what it's there for. And don't no. call me. Because I may or may not hear the phone ring. I usually have a vibrate anyway, but that's that's the big thing is defining what comms are to our clients is a big part of it too. And that's why I've actually stopped line. I don't even line out on it. Whenever we approach a show at all anymore, we provide the comms. And because sometimes they may have unity and they may have like 10 users. I'm like, we need 50. It's like, we'll just use, we'll use my VIP system or we'll use my, my VCOM system. And it's like, I, it's okay. I don't, I don't mind calling you, uh, giving you that cost. I want to be able to call you and get ahead of, ahead of a problem. Yeah. And I don't want that to be the stopping point just because you, you rented 10 systems. Yeah. Comms are so important that, I mean, it, it, and it really is one of those things that you get into where people want to cut corners and, and people who don't understand comms cut corners in comms. People who understand comms do not cut corners. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the place you cut corners. Um, the, uh, the, one thing I think is missing in a lot of these comm systems that work on the cell phones is is some kind of text feature um, because uh, there are times when you need to say something, but you can't say it. And so being able to do it over text is, is uh, you know, you can't say it out loud because you're somewhere where it would get picked up by the mic, it would get picked up by other things. And so that is the one place where I find that that we wish that these systems had you know, full texting capability built into the system. So you could sit there and have, do what you would do with iMessages or or with uh, WhatsApp or whatever inside of the comm system. So you're not, what you don't want to do is put that, take that app, especially if you're, if it's on your phone, take that app out of being in focus and putting it in somewhere else. You know, that's, that's the biggest problem with what I'm saying. Like for the longest, mm -hmm. Unity would just die. If you got a phone call, on my, at least on my iPhone, it did. Oh, yeah. It's like, if I got a phone call, Unity was dead and I wouldn't know it. And they're like, hey, yeah. I've been trying to get a hold of you in comms. I'm like, oh, hold on a second. Let me kill the I app. Have, Let me start it it's again. Primarily why I have two phones with cell is so that I can use Unity on one of them. And then I, I put it on Do Not Disturb and I use Unity on it. And I um, and then I use the other phone for the general communication. Yeah, go ahead, Jonas. So on that comment at my church, we it's a right now it's a one party line interface, but we use Mumble. One of the coolest features is everybody does also text chat, but you can set it up so it reads it out to you. So I'm as the EIC and director, my camera people who sometimes like just don't feel comfortable talking in the middle of like a crowd about things. They just text me and suddenly in my ear, I hear X set and it just reads it all out and it's perfect because then I That's can right. respond on like voice again and it's really cool. Um, a lot more platforms should add that. Make sure to vote on the questions. Uh, we have a lot of questions coming in. We're not going to get to all of them, so you need to vote them up and down uh, to make sure that we know what we're doing. We'll have our our panelists be pretty straightforward on the on the answers as we move forward because of the. We want to try to get to as many as we can. Well, next question. Bo Cordell has a jargon question. What's meant by swinging the comms? Go ahead, Bo. 
Yeah, so picture a show where you have a pregame show, halftime show, you know, the game. Um, then you might have you might share cameras between those three productions. Those three productions will be in three separate trucks a lot of times. Uh, you know, for something like a Super Bowl, small show like that. Um, but you you know you have a spider cam, you have a couple cameras that have to be on all three productions. So they'll build in like camera swings. So the the intercom operator will literally just put a button on their panel that's essentially a macro. Where, you know, when they hit this button, then the cameras that are shared go to the pregame truck and they listen to the pregame intercom. They hit another button, then now those have been swung to the game show and they, they hear the game director, the game producer, and then put another one and, and they now they're listening to the halftime show. Um, so it's it's one of those, again, one of those small things. They don't have to wear three different headsets. They don't have to listen to three people at the same time. They just get switched to the truck that they need to be at when they need to be there. Next question. Marty Adius in Maryland says, I often mix on location under headphones. I also need to be on comms, whatever version is used for that event. What methods can be used to avoid wearing two headsets? Go, Jeff. I alluded to it earlier. For us, it's using Dante comms. And uh, because of the Dante quality, uh, we can pipe audio into it. Uh, for my favorite right now, uh, favorite controller is this guy here from Studio Technologies. Uh, and it allows us to put a stereo channel in. So, uh, and then they have an individual volume just for it. Uh, and then I could listen to that as much as I want and then tune out the other people. I could mute those, those if I needed to, to get a really good isolation, but that allows me to create the exact mix that I need. And for the cost of these, which is under a thousand, uh, I think seven, 800, something like that. It's so well worth it. Um, and you could bring that with you for that matter. It does use a five pin, uh, which is the key to me because I, I want to have quasi stereo, I call it quasi because it's really not truly stereo. It's just an independent feed to your left ear, independent feed to your right ear. So what you send it in Dante depends. Uh, but that's the way I would do it, Marty, without a doubt. Yeah, just have you a box that has multiple Dante channels capability. Uh, these larger boxes are not restricted by the smaller boxes, like the two-channel 374s don't have enough uh, Dante flows to be really useful for that. But uh, this one has plenty of flows, and, and uh, you don't have to worry about multicasting if you don't need to. Go, Jeff. Now, I assumed, you know, of course, we were going to get some other really great, complicated and correct ways to do this. And, and I'm going to give you the super hack alternative way. If uh, none of that flexibility is available to you on site, which is uh, there's lots of uh, just, you know, you rip your headphones out of the board and you can carry one of these little guys. Uh, this particular one is battery powered. So it's small portable. You can plug whatever your comms is, whether it's a, a pack or, or coming out of your phone into this. Uh, as well as the the mix that you're uh, mixing and and you hear it all in your headphones and you control it and obviously no one else does. Yeah, good, Bill. I what Alex mentioned earlier. I did the same thing. I carry two phones out with me. One of them I dedicate to cons if I have to do that. Use Unity on it and use a little security earbud like this. It can go under most headphones and it'll feed your phone comms channel in there. If you've got no other budget and just want to do it the simple way possible, that can be surprisingly effective. Yeah, and we have some uh, some engineers, our audio engineers, that will take those comms and they will feed them either back into their mixer or into an in between mixer where they can actually pan them. And so they'll pan clients to one side 
and pan other parts of the project to the other. And so they'll kind of move them around in the space so that they kind of understand what they're looking at, but they're still connected to their mixer as far as hearing it directly. So for an audio engineer, you can't really listen to it through anything else. You need to listen to it through the mixer. And that's one of the things that they can do there. Next question. Aaron Jen Carell in uh, Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, what is your standard PL channel set? Who is on what channel and why? Go, Jonas. So we mostly start with three channels. And keep in mind, this is for our virtual shows. So it probably would be different if you do uh, something sporty. Uh, we have production, which is everybody on the production team plus client. Then we have editorial, which is mainly client and producers. Producers are meant to then relay anything that is actionable from editorial to production. So if there's a discussion, hey, should we use that bug or do you want to use the other bug? Production gets the information and the result of that discussion. Editorial is where that discussion happens. And then we have engineering, which is where all the engineers live. So if the, there's any issue like, hey, we need to reset pins, we need to make sure that A gets to B or something like that, that goes into the engineering. And then on longer shows, and especially if you have like dispersed teams, we have like a lounge and a hangout channel. So if there's anything that isn't really show related, but helps the crew to stay in a good mood, we'll put that on lounge so they can talk about how amazing their food was that they just ordered or something like that, um, just to keep them all connected. Because on our shows, as soon as I don't hear anyone on comms, there goes just like a whole scenario of like, okay, let's check their internet connection. Where is that? Because right. we can't see them. We don't know what happened. But there's always all these channels to make sure that they are somewhere. Go, Jeff. Ours is similar, but a little bit different because we're doing sports. So for for us, it's it, primarily sports. It's, it's production is first. Then uh, engineering, as I mentioned earlier, those are both on the camera champ, uh, the camera belt packs or in their uh, CCUs, which then go to the cameras and they can access either of those two. Uh, the third one is usually to the talent. Uh, then that's sometimes a PL, depending on how many talent uh, we have. Usually we're, we're just two, so it's a single PL for both of those. And then the fourth is currently right now to talk out to Master Control. So uh, we have a direct line to wherever Master Control is. Could be in the UK, could be in the ESPN, or it could be wherever. Uh, so that's the tie-in. And that, that fourth channel could be a SIP line tied into the comms also. Uh, and that's on just the smallest shows. Uh, then it just scales from there. Next question. Jeff Keithley, panel opinion. Does chat count as comms in production? Go ahead, Jonas. Yes, because like I said, for our comms, we have all this separation. So if I can't reach you by pinging you first on the PL that you should be on, then on private, then you will get a Discord message or whatever chat protocol we established for that production. Because there is like, oh, if that person runs offline, we need to fail over to the next person in that role. So we definitely use it as like a tertiary backup. Go ahead, Jeff. Okay, so that's, but that's different than what I was, I, I guess I was meaning to ask. I'll, I'll revise. So is that a substitute? So whenever somebody says comms, I guess that was my question. And we kind of talked about this earlier. So <laughs> using Discord chat channels or using my worst fear is WhatsApp or text threads that are just just going on and on and on and on. Uh, as, as Alex alluded to earlier, someone hearing the truck is on fire, uh, that's even worse in a WhatsApp <laughs> show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's, there's certain clients, and they're doing virtual events. 
really large virtual events. Yeah, you probably have an idea who I'm talking about. They rely on WhatsApp. And I'm like, that's not a comm solution, guys. Let's get everybody together on a comm system. It's worth the cost, whatever it happens to be. And it's where that goes back to. So that's my thing is I so many times people that are not in the broadcast world or in the production world think, oh, we'll just do WhatsApp. I'm like, it's not a solution. That's how people get started. <laughs> next next question. Samuel Nordvik in Norway recommends for how to set up comms for the first event done on a proper comm system. A team of five people, including two people working mainly with audio and the rest working mainly with video and camera operation. Go ahead, Jonas. Make sure that you talk about it before the event and that you map out connections and who needs to reach who. So if there's like any reliance on any other person that they can actually be reached, then check what comm system you have. If it's like one, two, three, four, unlimited PL system, and then map out those PLs, who needs to talk to who there's like, that's what you can build a matrix between like these people need to talk to these and then it will become pretty clear um, who needs to talk to whom. Mm -hmm. I think the introduction that Jeff and I gave on the question to uh, questions above is um, a good starting point with like having production editorial and engineering that's would be the three that i start maybe an audio if you have two audio people that's how i would get started go jeff i was going to stay on the simpler side rent it rent it so that you can be familiar about if you can as far as getting started right yep rent a system and see uh, how it works uh, does tucker tucker still do comms or does he kind of move past making comms available yeah Still, he still doesn't. Yeah. Tucker Dragu, he's in our in our group. I, if you're getting started, just have Tucker build something for you and not have to think about it. You know, if you're going to do it locally, if you're going to manage it all locally, there's a bunch of options. But if you're going to use something like Unity, uh, Tucker Dragu is the person to go to. I used We used him a lot until we bought our own system. Uh, next question. Eduardo Augustine in Panama, how to get started into steady, reliable comms. Started with Telos, uh, started using Discord, looking for the next step, small group of four. Go ahead, Jonas. I would say Unity if you need like comms that are displaced. Um, Punctum is a great system if you don't need wireless belt packs and are just local. It's a system that we start using way more. And then there's like a heap of options locally, like Gringo and all of other um, stop marks. Next question. Falico Lopez Waterman, how is Dante used for comms? Go ahead, Bo. Yeah, Jeff. Jeff can probably. They've kind of spoken to this already. I'll I'll take it a little different different way. Um, once you can get good clean audio in and out of comms, like via Dante, and not just a you know janky you know kind of a low quality four wire situation, then you can start moving your audio around. Um, like for instance, on one of my shows, I was able to have the program in JBLs in the corners of the room. I had the announcers only in the center channel. And then I had in a Wohler in front of my workstation, I had the director hot mic, producer hot mic. And then that way I knew that any, any sound coming out of my intercom panel was somebody talking directly to me. Everybody else was uh, something I was just needing to hear throughout the show. But my intercom panel was dedicated to somebody talking to me. Go ahead, Jeff. For us on the engineering side, Dante was just revolutionary because it allowed us to emulate what the the RTSs and, and the really large Eclipse uh, ClearComs can do. So for for us, it was a cheaper way to get into and a faster way to get into larger matrix flexibility. 
And so that's where Dante really came into our, our world for Dante comms. And it was just more, it was more cost effective, but it also gave me the flexibility to put any audio anywhere I wanted to. And that flexibility is worth it. Yeah. And we've had, you know, tying Dante in to, to grab a bunch of channels and stick them in. So for instance, for a lot of our online stuff, we've used the BSS 806 and you can build all these very complex mixed minuses. They're going to go back to, to individuals and so on and so forth. And all of that's based on Dante. Um, and they, again, for us, Clear Comic Eclipse, it was, was really something that kind of changed the way we looked at everything because we could tie anything in and out of our audio system back into um, comms or, you know, so you can have comms going in, comms going out. All of those things made things a lot, a lot easier. Next question. Samuel Nordvik in Norway. What else do you use comms for other than communicating with your team? That's it. <laughs> communicating with your team uh, other than other than sending lots of program feeds into so that you can listen to different audio um, feeds. Uh, that's the other thing you might do outside of com- comms. Go ahead, Bo. We did have a show where we tied um, Alexa into one of the PLs. So you could just hit that PL, talk to Alexa, get a response. <laughs> that's interesting you could you can start setting up i never thought of that you could have like hey 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 you know alexa you know, turn on the lights so you know, <laughs> it'd be kind of fun uh, next question tlalek lopez waterman uh talk about ifb and the necessary mix minus infrastructure please uh go ahead uh, bill real quick yeah, I've been on the inside of an IFB. It's an interruptible foldback, and that's usually when a director is talking to a talent live on the set. And it takes a little brain power to process that. So um, don't do it just if you've never done it before. Practice a little. Uh, it's very useful, but it can be very disoriented. That's one of the reasons I actually kind of like the panel chat version here, because I get distracted. And if I'm not able to react to something, I want to be able to come back and read it. Yeah, go ahead, Bo. Yeah, usually it'll built, be built so that it's, you know, an aux uh, out of the, the uh, audio mixer. So, you know, you're literally hearing the whole mix minus your microphone, uh, putting that in your ear. And then it's built in the intercom system so that when the producer talks to you, your program feed ducks. So you hear the producer loud and clear. You hear the program lower. Um, and then once the producer's done talking to you, then program comes back up to the normal level. And on the on the Producers panel, like I said earlier, the listen part of that is the the announcer's prefade microphone, and the talk is the that ducking. Next question, Douglas Carmichael. What specific hardware do you use for a phone bridge? I'm thinking that it'd be harder with modem with modern mobile devices. Could you use a USB audio interface on an iOS device? Go, ahead, Jeff. Uh, for phone bridges, it's so easy now. Uh, VoIP. Uh, so we use zip lines and, and uh, drop that that VoIP soft client on a computer, a PC, or Mac, and then you just take Dante out of it. It's so easy. Oh, yeah. It used to be such a pain. Yeah. And oh, with Unity, it's literally like a tiniest instance on AWS, two VB cables, and then uh, VoIP client and Unity client, and it works perfectly. Yeah, for for many years we used GoToMeeting because <laughs> it just gave us like we we have a call we could set it all up and we just set you know GoToMeeting with an I with a for us a USB pre two in and out and into our comm system and we could talk to people and hear back hear back from a basic phone bridge. Uh, it turned out to be something that was relatively easy to do. You could do it now with Zoom or lots of other things as well. All right, that was a good conversation. A lot of great questions, a great panel uh, here to answer a lot of questions. And I think this kind of sets the stage. So we'll be talking about comms probably about once a quarter. So we'll bring on different vendors and we'll talk about those things. But I felt like today 
is the day that kind of gets your head around how we think about comms and how we approach those comms as we bring different people in to talk. We'll probably refer back to this one when we tell you that the next one's coming so that you can listen to this before you uh, hear the, uh, go into the next one so you can understand what we're talking about there if you're new to comms. Uh, for, and so um, it's a great, great conversation. Thanks to the panelists uh, who came here today. It was just really fantastic to get your input um, from this. We can't do this without you. And uh, thanks to the um, incredible questions from the from the panel I and mean, from the uh, producers. Uh, that was really, really great to drive that conversation forward and make sure that we covered uh, most of the bases uh, that, it, that you need to know when you get started with comms and, and also for the first hour. So thanks for your great questions. And thanks to the incredible team that's on comms right now uh, that is making this show actually happen every single day. Uh, the small village that wakes up every day to make sure that this happens seven days a week. Um, so thank you for your contribution and thanks to the dev team that's making this all happen and putting these things together and getting all the stuff to work. Um, and thanks to the management teams that are that are figuring out what that we're going to talk about comms today <laughs> and, and figure out and interacting uh, with everybody to make sure that there's councils and there's um, there's there's you know individual you know there's a lot of people that have to be involved to get these these second hours to to be as good as they are getting. So um, so thank you for your contribution there. We traveled uh, 62,000 miles, um, that's 99,000 kilometers, and that's more than 491 million bananas for scale. All right, let's go ahead and jump into after hours. It's really nice to just have a banana that I can use every show. It's plastic in case you're wondering, because otherwise it'd be brown. So you can't smell the sticky. Just thought you got good tips on food preparation. Yeah, exactly. From Monday. What's funny is, is that right after the show, I typically have a banana. So I could have a real banana. And then I would just, I would eat it at this moment rather than showing you a plastic one. But this is the standard one because it's eight, eight inches. Exactly. This is the difference between a metric banana and an imperial banana oh i don't think we should talk about that on the show you know like i think that's, it's a very hot conversation people get pretty upset about the whole thing got it just don't substitute a plantain it doesn't work <laughs> plantain measurement 